Zogies. Phil will not be here tonight. Uh, Casey Cannon is going to be joining me here shortly. Uh, so it's going to be a pretty laid-back show. I think we're going to talk about some some herping and some other cool stuff. Um, I'm just waiting on Casey to get here. So in the meantime, I'm going to fill up my lighter. Or attempt to. What's everyone up to? Hey. Dan, jump in. So I don't have the Snakes and Stogies Zippo yet. But, I did get this one, and then I had a insert, a jet insert, laying around in uh, one of my drawers, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's on Facebook. Well, shit. Yeah, so I'm waiting on Casey. Um, but the link is, if anybody feels like joining, the link is uh, on my little post earlier in the group with the uh, Connecticut My Father. So, yeah, we can get this sucker working. And. What's up? It's not gentlemen yet. It's pretty much just me. Like I said, waiting on uh, waiting on Casey. Damn. Yeah, I don't. I mean, honestly, I don't even log into Twitch. I don't pay a whole lot of attention to it. I should probably pay more attention to it, but I don't. Um, this is really irritating. Like this, so they make these inserts for Zippo lighters. The tank on them is pretty small, uh, and they definitely don't hold a lot. So it was working fine yesterday, and now it's it's not even sparking. Hmm. Also, I guess I can abandon this. Uh, <clears throat> so, on the Snakes and Stogies group, uh, Chris Paintshab made a handful of these guys. Snakes and Stogies cigar holder. Um... We have one in the group right now that's up for auction. Uh, we're going to be donating that money to the Rattlesnake Conservancy. 
Uh, and so for over the next couple months, we'll have a few of these up for auction. Uh, Chris is also throwing in a My Father, the Judge Toro to go with it. Um, it's completely like he used a, a water jet, like 55,000 PSI. And uh, I guess had some sort of welding skills, but it's pretty sweet. I, uh, I really like it. So it's nifty. I use it. Um, if you're in the Snakes and Stokies group on Facebook, uh, I think the current bid on the current one is actually up to 100 bucks. So we will have more in the future. Um, I think I'm going to try and get Chris to make some Herpeticulture Network ones. Uh, but that, you can actually just message me, Bill. I have a few left. Um, I have everyone. There's six people that have ordered some so far. They're all going out tomorrow. Um, the sampler is actually pretty good if you like... Uh, if you like them on the stronger side, it's definitely a, a good one. Radicals Cadaddle. So good. That's right. So, tonight I have a Viaje Summerfest. I guess I could take it out of the wrapper. I have had neither of these. <clears throat> um, one of our People in the group that's actually a regular at work, Mr. Joe Blinko, gave me these to try out. Um, and I've saved them since the other day. It's a Viaje stuffed turkey. Um, so, real quick, I guess we... Sorry! Uh... So, since we usually try to get into some sort of cigar-related conversation, um, this is a good time to talk about open and closed-foot cigars. Um, so, you'll see some cigars that have... Let's see if this will zoom in. Uh, you'll see it's just basically there's no wrapper on the, this little bit right here. And the point of that is, is Casey Cannon's here. That's What's up, man? Can you hear me? What's up, buddy? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, just talking about open foot cigars real quick. So the point of this is so you can taste the filler in the binder before you get to the wrapper and you should, ideally, you should notice a change in flavor from the time you start here to when you get to the wrapper right there. Um, some like you see it in the, uh, what the hell is it called? Um, Punch Chop Sueys. It's got a, a crazy open foot for like an inch. Um, and so that's just to give you a, a, an idea of what the filler and the binder tastes like. And then when the wrapper kicks in, that's like the whole blend all together. So I guess I'll start with this one actually and see how it goes. Um, what's going on, dude? Nothing much, man. I just got back from Walmart, which was a <laughs> because I had to uh, get this microphone, but it turns out the microphone needs, I thought I could plug it into my phone, but I can't. I have to oh. charge. But I think we only have one person. I'm good. I don't know. Is the chat? Uh, it, sound, it sounds fine to me. Okay. Maybe it's just, no. we have multiple people. I put the link in the group, so I don't know if Thomas or anybody else is going to be joining in. Um, we'll see what happens. 
But I will say my one complaint with open foot cigars is when you light them, you get the little ash things that shoot off and they fall on your shirt and you burn holes in them. And... Yeah. Yeah, they do. 100%. And then, I guess we'll get into another a little pro tip real quick. When you're lighting a cigar, a lot of people think... You're supposed to just like throw it right in there. Like ideally you want to, what is called toast it. So you see, I keep trying to be in frame. So you hold it away from that flame and you're basically trying to burn it at the lowest temperature possible. So you can get the most flavor out of it because you will literally burn the tobacco and not get as much flavor. Um, or it'll just taste really bitter. Uh, so that's why if you see people lighting with matches or a bick, it's a soft flame. It doesn't burn nearly as hot as a torch does, but torches also get it lit quicker. So, For anybody who wants to know. So on the snake stuff, how are these? Uh, how the baby saying are you doing? I assist-fed tails in two of them because I was feeding some other stuff, and so I just cut some tails and, and put them in there. Um, That's pretty good. And they, they kept them down. I think there was one I had to go back in there after a few minutes and put it back in. Um, and then the third one, I just, I haven't even bothered because all three look like they're getting ready to go into a shed cycle. So I'll gotcha. probably just wait until they're all out and, and see what I can make happen. So when you're so. force feeding, how far down do you push the mouse tail? As like far as possible. You... Okay. Because Good I know... Yeah, I know, like, the minute I let them go, they're going to try and worm their way back and, and spit it back out. So I try to get it down as far as possible. Uh, and kind of like with the chondros, like, I'll just hold them. Mm -hmm. So they don't really have any, like, leverage to to push against and, and get themselves off of it. Um, so if you leave them kind of hanging there, they somehow, I guess it, it helps them realize there's, any, there's nowhere else for it to go but but down, so... Yeah, because I've dealt with that a couple of times. I've used uh, mouse legs where sometimes they get it where they can work it out. And, like, if they figure out how to, like, leverage themselves up against something, they can get it out. But right. sometimes, like, they just get so exhausted with trying to, like, leverage themselves out. They're like, fine, let's swallow it. Yeah. I'm awful at force feeding. Believe yeah, that's... The most success force feeding snakes, and I doubt you're supposed to do this, but I tried it one time just to see if it would work, was uh, wax worms. I could see where that would, I mean, there's definitely a lot of fat and protein in there. Yeah, like a little bit. It was a little thing. I think it was a really runty baby carpet that I tried mm -hmm. it with. And it, it ended up not working, but like, well, I'm, I'm going to try something. And these wax farms right. actually seem to be going pretty well. So something's better than nothing. Yeah. And um, I just, I do tails because A, I have a ton of them. You know, I have yeah. a bunch of adult mice. I just cut the tail off before I go and feed it to something else. And then they're easy to get down because they're streamlined with the body. It's not like trying to assist feed a pinky, which I've tried multiple times with chondros and cyania, and I can never get it to work. I don't know how people force feed pinkies. I can never get it to go down. It's freaking impossible. Um, so I just do tails. And then David Brahms with, uh, I think, his first clutch of chondros, he actually took some Pangea gecko diet and dipped the back half of the pinky in that, like not like mixed, but just dry. Um, or maybe he did wet it. I'm not sure, but that's a complete diet. So it's got 
all the calcium and all the other phosphorus and supplements and stuff that they would need. And he did that with some of his baby chondros. And he thinks, I mean, it's completely anecdotal, but he thinks it did help as far as getting them sort of off the ground and, and running. Um, so I am kind of interested to try that out with, uh, you know, Boiga and then getting them onto pinkies as soon as I can and doing the cutting thing I do. Um, yeah. I think that'll help. And so we'll see. I don't, I don't know. Tails are easy, you know, only takes a few seconds. Just grab them. And I'd rather do that. You know, that was something that was actually brought up in the, in the snakes and stogies group. Cause I posted pictures of that the other day. Like I had a condor that had stuck shed and, um, some other stuff. And I just, just easier just to grab the snakes, like, pin, you know, tube them, grab them behind the head, peel shed, assist feed, whatever you need to do and get it over with rather than, you know, over the course of 30 minutes, try and pick or, you know, tease feed. It's like, yeah. it's, it's much less stressful. Just grab them and then get it, get it over with. So that's what I do. Cause I've talked to uh, Don Patterson about baby condors a couple of times. And that's one of the biggest things he says that he does is like for the first two months, he just immediately starts assist feeding. Like mm -hmm. the way he put it is he, his theory on why people lose baby condors so fast we try to wait them out too long. Like, basically, we just let them get to a point where even if you do force feed them, they can't handle the meal because they don't have enough energy reserves built up from the yolk. Right. So what he said was, as soon as they hatch out and, like, they shed, just start, even if they don't, like, offer food, but then force feed, you know. They'll get, their, they'll get the hang of it after, like, you know, seven to ten meals or so. Mm -hmm. But the biggest trick with them is just, get them eating something as fast as possible. Yeah. I've wondered, I've wondered about that. Cause there are some guys that wait until their first shed with chondros to feed them. There's some people that don't and just go ahead and feed them, you know, two or three days after they've hatched. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like they're, they should be pretty well equipped with what they've been given in the egg. If they're meant to survive that, they shouldn't have to be fed for, you know, a week easily. Like that shouldn't. If no, I mean, if that were the case, I think they would have. They wouldn't be as successful in the wild as they are. But uh, no, I didn't mean it like that. I meant like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's just something. Like even with uh, like my baby carpet, uh, maybe my baby brettle. Like I let him go. I let him shed, and then I might even wait wait a week until, you know, post shed before I even offer any food. And that seems to work pretty well. Just kind of like give them time to really like flush the yolk out and then offer yeah, them to like actually get hungry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Then I don't know, like bird like breeders feeding while they pack out of the egg. And apparently they can do that sometimes. That's wild. Yeah. Then Not again, that crazy. might be like, you know, snake breeders like to talk and like to talk about things that don't happen, but. You know, that is a story I've heard a couple berm guys say is that if you offer a, a hatching berm, like in the process of coming out of the egg, a uh, like a day old chick will take it. But who knows? Who knows? Why? <laughs> What's the <I> point? <laughs> Cut them open early, feed them early, and then we wonder why they're all jacked up. Hey, man, though, you can you can breed a male ball python at four months old. Got to get those. Got to get those genetics back out there. Whatever. That's actually insane. It's not that you can do that. 
well, like I think some of those like well-established lines you can do that where like they're becoming more was, and more like domesticated. I thought it was something like four hundred grams. Yeah, which is like nothing. Yeah. If you get a good like a good year, I feel like you could get it at four hundred grams in like no time. But if it's a solid nope. eater, definitely. I just feel like the uh, the thing with the the Boyga are a little different though, because the Boyga, because especially this is what I was told by Jordan Russell when I got my Cyania, because he was he he warned me when I got them. He's like, these are gonna stop eating when you get them. You're gonna have to assist feed tails if you just do that and then try offering pinkies sort of intermittently between those tails to see when they start taking off. He's like, they will come back to eating pinkies, but they're just going to take a little while. And sure enough, I mean, he called it, you know, he said, he told me too, like, these aren't, this is sort of one of the exceptions as far as snakes go, where letting them go a prolonged period of time without food is actually not good for them. Because yeah. they are a high metabolism, they are thin snakes. Um, of course, my adult male, like, adult male boyga, for the most part, are, they, it is not uncommon for them to just refuse food you know, for a good chunk of the year, um, which I've actually come to find is the case with my male. If I, unless I offer him live fuzzies in a cup, um, he usually doesn't have any interest in, in frozen thought. He'll eat it on occasion, but you know, Jordan basically said like, don't let these go, you know, a month or whatever without eating, you know, put a tail in them and do it free, you know, regularly. And eventually they'll start taking pinkies on their own, which they did. Um, so it's, uh, that's that's one of those species where like carpets, uh, brettles, you know, chondros. Like, if it takes a month or so to kind of get them really interested in going, like that's no big deal. But that's not something I would want to do with, you know, boyga just because of how small they are. So. What are they eating in the wild? You know, uh, pretty much anything. Okay, so they're kind of um, general hunters. Yeah, I mean, they're I call them sort of tree ninjas because I mean they're they'll eat. Birds, they'll eat frogs, they'll eat mice, they'll eat lizards, they'll eat, uh, it's not uncommon for them to actually eat other snakes. Um, okay. They're not like super like hyper cannibalistic like some king snakes are, but I think given the opportunity, if they find one that's, you know, a good bit smaller than them, they'll, they won't hesitate to, to make a meal of it. Um, what? What was that? What are you doing? Trying to get this Oh. Good luck. We good? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um, so I don't. I I did tails in mine. I have to check. It was actually. It's been probably close to a uh, week since I did tails in the last. But I don't know. So. Yeah, those guys can actually get a lot bigger than I think they do. Like in my mind, they're relatively like small, slender snakes. But I've seen pictures of people freehandling them, which I know, I know, but. <laughs> It gives you an idea of how big they are. And Cyania is a pretty good-sized Hollywood, right? Yeah, I mean, I think some of the ones that you see on Instagram that are just absolute monsters are kind of the exception in general. Because, I mean, I my female, I paired her at a much smaller size than I realized other people were pairing theirs. And she seemed to handle it fine. And, I mean, she's probably pushing four feet. But, I mean, she's super thin. Okay. Know, just in, they're very slender snakes to begin with. You know, you see like the cynodon, like the dog tooth cat snakes, like the one Phil has, where they'll be like eight feet long, but they'll only be about that big around. Yeah. You know, they're just they're super thin. They're super 
super long and they're just they're built for for the trees and stuff like that i think there's actually one species of boiga that is like almost entirely terrestrial and isn't arboreal or semi-arboreal to some extent oh there's they, a, uh, the night tiger Eric, no one what's up guys that's yeah. That's that's Australia's version of the brown tree snakes that are in Guam. Same species. Those are boiga, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's a regularis. Are those people keep them in the United States? I know there's a handful. Of them. Not the Australian forms. I don't think anybody yeah. has those except for uh, Australians. Yeah. Unless they have it, they're not supposed to. Well, that's far more likely. <laughs> I'm never, sitting here. Never gets Australian animals Like full support of the Australian government. It's impossible. You can't do it. Well, I'm sitting here thinking that Australia, like the people of Australia, are like, "Yeah, man, we love our wildlife. We're not going to bring in anything weird." And then I see headlines of like, "A uh, corn snake was found in Australia" and crazy stuff like that. And I'm like, "They're just like us." Yeah, they are. I mean, yeah, look how clean over there. They have everything. They've got all the, like the base pet corn stuff that we have. Like I've seen pictures of leopard geckos in Australia that somebody posted online. I think we talked about this last episode. I think we and, did. Yeah, where I messaged this person like, take that down. That you're clearly you're clearly breaking the law. Like people are gonna find you. Stop it. Steve Irwin is turning in his grave right now. You're making you're making the Australian wildlife cry. All of them. Walls up in the tree is just tearing down. <laughs> yeah, irregularis just uh, recently, within the last two or three years, got banned in Florida, which I've talked about before. I think it's hilarious because no one has irregularis. Like, nobody keeps them. Like, why are you banning something? A, that, I mean, you're they're not even supposed to be able to be imported, anyways, because, in my opinion, irregularis are like the you know the fish and wildlife commission's boogeyman like they're terrible yeah well after guam if it makes landfall we're screwed and it's like yeah they would do great in florida like everything else in the world yeah but past that i don't they wouldn't they wouldn't do well i don't think they'd fare well so yeah just tell them tell me in south carolina and then you can have them just (laughs) like at the u.s fish and wildlife Yep, South Carolina. Who knows how long we'll be uh, the last that's, bastion of, of freedom. In the freedom. Uh, <laughs> that's, I mean, I think there's more stuff coming on the pipeline as far as the regulation here. I was told, because I had a conversation with uh, a guy that's like the liaison between the private sector and uh, DNR, which is South Carolina's Department of Natural Resources. And I had a conversation with him on the phone, like I was talking to him, and I said, my concern is you guys are going to start screwing around, you're going to decide to start banning everything else, and he told me verbatim, this is, he said, we have no interest in dealing with anything else exotic except tegus. And I was like, okay. Like, you can tell me that, that doesn't necessarily mean I believe you, but... That's. I just don't think that's how it's going to work. <laughs> Tegus are such a weird case too, where they are a large omnivorous lizard that yeah. can survive in a lot of the southeast. Like, for being honest here, like 
if an alligator can survive there, a tegu could probably survive there yeah. too. No, yeah. I mean I'm not I'm not denying the fact that no, tegu no, could legitimately do very well in a in a very much larger spectrum of of in ecosystems and habitats than berms would. Yes, that is what's scary about this though is berms. They were the the boogeyman for so long, but berms really can't survive outside of you know really the edge of bald, uh, big cypress. Yeah, where tegus like. The Tegu boogeyman that's starting to make actually is probably a legitimate threat in a lot of the yeah. like coastal southeast. Yeah. yeah. Well, he he told me they had they had over the last handful of years they've had a number of call-ins or sightings of tegus. He said you know a good majority of those probably weren't you know they're not unsubstantiated, um, they're not proven you know. And then he said, "There's a few of them that actually like they are legitimate. Like they saw what they saw." Uh, mm-hmm. But he said, "You know, this is just it's like you know people are freaking out. Um, of course, you know it's the media saying the sky's falling. Hide your hide your your wives and children. The tegus are coming for them. And uh, I don't know. It's just I can understand. Like it is a problem, but at, at the same time, like in Florida." Just like iguanas, it's like once they're there, they're there. Like you can only do so much to to keep them pretty much yeah. plateaued to where they are. But even then, they're just so successful where they you know where they are that it that's going to be a hard a hard thing to do. And I'm all for opening season on invasive species like that, like berms. I have no problems with people hunting berms. Yeah, it's kind of strange to me that Florida requires a license to hunt berms. You can't. It, it is like if they, if you're he complaining want, about how bad they are, yeah. you're gonna tell me I can only you know take three. Like, I, I I mean it makes sense because states always want to have con- their control over the process, but uh, I'm just it, to me it doesn't make any sense. No, it makes sense. But well, again, I mean they also they did that with iguanas though too. Remember they were like, oh yeah, have you seen iguana kill it? And then everyone started like, yeah, literally. Yeah maiming these things like hitting them with shopping carts and just not making their deaths quick and then florida had to come back and say wait a second we didn't say pretend you're in saw three yeah like <laughs> let's take a step back and kill them humanely that's that's a key word right i mean which i mean that's that's subjective i guess there's some it sick, is sick but in the world man from a I guess a reasonable person's or hunter's, you know, outlook. I think that can be well defined. <laughs> Bill said, "Chicken of the trees." You can't tell me you couldn't come up with some solid barbecue or jerk iguana recipes. <laughs> I bet they taste really good. I I kind of want to try one. I bet they I would. Good. I would try one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who knows? I had frog legs for the first time food. in Daytona. You tried really? what? I tried frog legs for the first time. It was actually at P and Cody's before Daytona, but that weekend I had never had them before. It's actually pretty good. Crossed with chicken. Kinda, yeah, yeah. Very so good. have you actually been to South Florida to see like just how bad the iguanas are, dude? It's it's actually pretty impressive when you go down to uh, like the Miami area. Mm-hmm. You uh, drive by like they get these little like ditched canal things all over the place, and you'll just be driving down the road, and all of a sudden it's just like covered in iguanas right like really really big red male iguanas 
just chilling out in like somebody's front yard over by the water. I believe it. I've seen videos yeah. of them on like docks and stuff, and they're just yeah everything. It's like, good God. Yeah, there's there's a lot of them down there, and I've been uh, I've seen the spiny salamander too. I've seen the brown basilisk. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't think there's any other reptiles I've seen because I've looked for berms, but I mean I've looked for berms like twice, so I haven't really looked for berms. I don't. I mean, Phil's talked about it a bunch, and he says he's really never sees any. I think Henry just said the same thing. He said, you know, no one ever really finds them. Uh, I don't know. And it's, I, it's yeah. I, had, I actually had someone in work the other day. We got on the topic of it and they asked me and I, you know, what I thought about it. And I said, it's, they make it sound like, you know, more than half the state of Florida is just overrun. And I was like, it's, it's actually a very small section in the very bottom, you know, it's really not that serious. So a very inaccessible, part of the state yeah the rugged interior but most parts of the everglades are really really remote areas that you can only get to basically by airboat by airboat yeah yeah i really want to go find a berm though that's yeah that's a me too it'd be pretty neat yeah it would be I mean, I... I... no no keep going I was going to say, like I said, I, I have no issues with, with open season on invasive species. I mean, it sucks because the animals didn't ask to be there. You know, they didn't have a choice in the matter, but at the same time, they're not supposed to be there. And, you know, leather, yeah. like people were wanting sort of renewable sources for, for skins and leathers. So it was like, there you go. You got tegus and there's a million of them and they're, you know, you got more than enough to choose from. So Yeah. Makes sense. I did see, on one of those trips that I was looking around, I did see, I don't know if it was a monitor or a tegu. Judging by the like the way it was built in its neck, I think it may have been a non-monitor, but mm-hmm. it was so fast I couldn't tell. But that was really cool to see. I wouldn't. There's nothing that someone, like if someone told me they saw, you know, a freaking alien in the glades, I'd be like, yeah, probably. That <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> Austin wants to jump in. Thomas, what are you smoking? The Gurkha 15-year. Oh, yeah. Is it everything you dreamed it would be and more? Yep. The best Gurkha they ever made. Dude. That I've had. 100%. I cash shit on Gurkha constantly because I kind of hate their brand, but those are this good. is the exception. No one can yep. deny that those are... <laughs> yeah. That's a damn good cigar. But Dude, Andy... Middleton wanted me to talk about the mice cutting thing, so I figured I'd draw a picture of what I do. So, so when I cut mice, A, they're not alive. They are frozen thawed. They are dead. I am not cutting live mice with a razor blade because I'm not a sick bastard. So I'll draw. You have to forgive my artistic capabilities because they are very basic. Um, you see if I can draw a little pinky, like a little loaf of bread. Did I tell you what I tried to do the other day for my emerald that was regurging? I think I so. Hand, I hand skinned a fuzzy, and it was in shed because I didn't check it before. But then I looked; it was in shed, so it wouldn't take it. So, like, well, crap! That was the most disgusting thing I think I've done in a very long oh. time. Total waste of time. 
Because it's That's Emerald. Cool. Like, I know they say Emerald's regurging is bad, but this one, it only regurges the fur, which <laughs> makes me want to try no fur. And I can't get a hold of any hairless mice because I've asked around and no one's breeding hairless mice right now. And if they do, it's going to be like a $10 amount. So there's no point in me really trying. But the, uh, I was, I'm glad that Phil asked Zach the other night on THP about the whole, because I really, I've wondered the same thing too of like the Regurge and Emeralds. Is it crypto? Like, is there a possibility that they're just super hypersensitive to, to crypto that's, that would be common in like corn snakes or any other snakes in the hobby? Um, I didn't draw this picture big enough. Let's try this again. <laughs> Mike Cuffin said, Justin, sign the drawing. It will be in the next auction. <laughs> Think I won't. All right. So this is going to kind of look like a bug, but it's a mouse. So bear with me. This is the little ear section. This will be a little mouse. I'll draw an X. A little stubby leg. Stubby leg. Stubby leg. He's drawing a right now. Guaranteed. It's gonna fly okay. <laughs> Here's my mouse. <laughs> All right. Here. I'll make it even. <laughs> Put it back up again. It's a <laughs> right. So, this is my, my my thawed mouse on my table. Yes. I take a I take a razor, and I make between three and six. Depends on my 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 level of frustration that given day, but typically the more the better, ideally. So I make cuts along the back like this. They don't have to be super deep. Um, the problem is with that's what he's that's an F, not a P. He's not playing hockey. So <laughs> it's not puck. Um, so the more cuts, the better. And sort of the, the the paper that was on this is no longer around for some reason. I guess it could be an armadillo with a cat's head. That's fair. Or a turtle with ears. Everyone uses their imagination. Um, <clears throat> There was a paper that was done. It was a very small sample size of corn snakes. Uh, the paper is no longer online. I can't find it anywhere. I, I really hope Joe Phelan still has it because I really want to share it around. Um, so th what they did was they took two groups of corn snakes. One group got just regular thawed mice, no cuts. Another group got, um, like they divided the second group up into some other groups. And so one group got like two cuts in the mice. One got three, one got four. And they found over the course of several weeks that the group that had the four cuts in the mice grew, I think it was like something crazy, like three times faster than the other groups. Um, and that's basically the, the whole concept was the body is using, like the digestive system is using less resources on trying to get through the skin. It was basically the paper was called How Big of a Hindrance is Skin? And it basically says they're getting to the things they need faster because the, the digestive system isn't working on getting through the skin to get to the stuff they actually need. Okay. And so if you think about it, it actually really makes sense. I've done it with some of my animals. Um, 
I haven't noticed any major difference. I really want to do it with the next clutch of chondros. Uh, you know, same thing, separate two groups. One gets no cuts, one gets three, four. Um, and I mean, it makes complete sense. I actually think it's really good to do with neonates. I think it's really good to do with females that are either going into a breeding season or coming out of laying a clutch because you're letting them get to those things that you, that you need, uh, you know, stat, uh, there's work. Howdy, fellas. What's going on? How you doing, Casey? Pretty good, man. The, the bread lie, guys. The bread lead. Sort of face to face conversation with Austin. We've never had one. No, we haven't. <laughs> I don't think. We've yeah. a couple times. We've a lot, but no, it's good to see you, dude. Good to see you, too, Eric. Yeah, so this, I mean, the nice thing about it is, is whether or not it works or actually really does have an effect, it takes like 10 seconds, it, not even 10 seconds, it's literally like one, two, three, feed it, one, two, three, feed yeah. it, it takes no extra time. Um, with conjures, I will say, make your cuts shallow because they are going to squeeze the crap out of it, and I've had a handful of times where it was... Intestines just coming out. Very messy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the chondro just looked like it came out of a uh, blood orgy. So <laughs> I've had someone do that to a freezer burn mouse before. But I guess we can. This this can be an auction item if people so choose. I don't know if you can find a frame for it. I'm assuming this is going to be about a four by six or maybe a five by seven. Um, I had a Dumerals hit a, a extra large rat that I had left in the hot water a little too long, and that was a pretty bad mess. Pretty nasty. It smelled pretty bad. Yeah. My Sophie, my Baird's cut in half pinks, and they make a giant mess every single time I feed. It's always surprising yeah. how much like fecal matter inside of a rat. Oh, yeah. But oh, yeah. A third of your body weight is shit. Yep. <laughs> Jason, Jason Raps said, pro tip, do not try to pre-cut and vacuum seal. It doesn't turn out well. <laughs> That's terrible. Which, if you do do your own mice and you do seal them, what I do to make my life easier is after I've euthanized them, I don't just throw them in a vacuum sealer and freeze them. I actually lay them out on a tray, freeze them, and then vacuum seal them. And that makes it easier. They're not all like one giant brick, you know, jigsawed together and weird you know you know what i mean yeah. like you get those ones and you pull it yep. out and it's it's like this weird angle and yeah you freeze them first then you I, see them, so i thought about also like that problem as far as like the tails you know when you even if you stack them nicely sometimes the tails get all wet wound up around the other ones just snipping them off just hang through it how much extra nutrition is in a tail whenever you're talking about a rat that's like a medium and larger you know oh yeah yeah and i mean when you're when you have stuff like baby boy like we were talking about you know, at the beginning of the show, uh, tails come. Yeah, in I just tuned in. I was cleaning know, snakes. Sorry. <laughs> baby chondros, tails come in handy. Like, you know, they're they're nice to have on hand if you need them. It's uh, yeah. And I like it because nothing's going to waste. You know. Yeah. I'm a big big fan of not letting anything go to waste. And Lisa has a good point about the slits too. She said it makes. Uh, Makes sense because you're just accentuating what the snake is already doing with their teeth, which, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, I would agree with that. Makes total sense. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's if, if you get a clutch, and that's anybody breeding, if you get a clutch and you have a couple animals that are like the runty ones, I really think this kind of thing, if you can get them started, uh, something like that will really make a huge difference. And, uh, I mean, it makes, it makes total sense. Like, like I said, the sample size was very small. It wasn't a very large experiment, but the numbers that she had were irrefutable. I mean, like it was, it was one of those things where like you saw the charts and you saw the numbers and you're like, whether this is as extreme in other species as it is in these corn snakes that she did it with, it's still, the results were, were ridiculous. It'd be interesting to see with this community if if you can get a kind of a pseudo study that tracks a, sta a snake through its entire life cycle through breeding, cut versus not cut. Do you, do you get do you get do you get more size? Do you get more weight? The the answer, I mean, I think that would be really valuable. Let me see. Admit, maybe it's back up. I don't. I'm see if I, I think kind of wish that tank breeders did kind of have like little projects like that they would work on. Uh, like, see, it says the has been deleted. Different prey items and see like what actually makes them grow better. Like, yeah, the supplements work because you have the numbers to do it. Yes, as yeah. a community, you do. Yeah, I'm listening to that Pangea thing you were talking about where uh, you they put on the end of the mouse tail. What if we did that on? Just mice in general. What if we tried that for a year? You know, would it work? Would Just it help? Just like whole, whole prey items? Yeah. Like, yeah. get a little bit and sprinkle on top of a, mm -hmm. like a fuzzy that you just thought out? I don't know. You see, sure like you from like straight out of the egg, first meal, then uh, just do it for a year and see. Yeah. You have your control. Do it the normal way. Uh, do one you cut open the belly. Do one like that with uh, Pangea and just kind of see. That'd be, that'd be interesting. Yeah, it would depend on what Pangea you use. Because uh, if you get like the red label stuff, that's got black soldier fly larvae in it, which are very high in fat, uh, very high in protein. And so I would worry long term about it making the snake become too fat. Um, which after seeing, I don't know if y'all saw that post from Matt Somerville in one of his... Uh, one of his Australian lapids, I forget which species it was. I think it was an Ingram's. Um, it was a snake that I believe hadn't eaten for like nine months. And it died randomly. Uh, he thinks it was some sort of heart issue. And he opened that thing up just to, to look around. I guess he does his own necropsies. And like that thing had a ton of fat in it. But that was not, from looking at it from the outside, like that was not and uh an obese snake by any means but the fat reserves in it were ridiculous like the entire body there's just a ton of it um and they've done that in conjures too conjures that have been eaten in a year you know they've they've cut them open because they died for whatever reason it wasn't food related but still fat reserves just endless like I, I still think even when i think that i'm not feeding my snakes enough i look at stuff like that and i'm like no i actually need to feed them even less than what i'm feeding them now so uh, this is kind of like not snakes, but in the same kind of vein, um, when we call our chickens, a lot of times, if it's a younger chicken, I'll eat, we'll eat it, smoke it, whatever. And, uh, or it'll get fed to the snakes. Just depends on how old it is. If it's real old, it's tough. And I don't, we don't eat it. Cause it's, I don't know if you guys have ever tried to eat a chicken. That's like six, six, seven years old. It's tough. <laughs> um, but even like in the young ones and we feed once a day, this probably, I think it's, 
I don't even know. It's not much food. It's probably like, so we've got like 14 chickens. So it's probably in the realm of like a half a liter of chicken feed I throw out every morning, which isn't a lot. A lot of people have them just free grazing constantly all day long and like a fully like full food deal. Right. And when you cut them open to clean them, they have all of this crazy fat on the inside of their chest cavity. And it just kind of blows my mind because I feel like we feed them very sparingly. And if you look at their inside of them, they're full of fat, completely full of fat. So it's interesting. And I think that snakes, I mean, you can kind of draw those lines a little bit. I had a Wilma Python pass away earlier this year uh, due to a heart deal. We'll open her tub. She was biting her heart complete bad deal and we did a necropsy on her she was a really tr like problem feeder um mm -hmm. i think at that point she hadn't eaten for close to nine months as well and just full of fat completely full of fat so yeah it's wild man like i think we very easily sort of underestimate just how efficient their metabolism is you know, like chondras, especially yep. I've got some young chondras that are like yearlings that I need to put on a diet because they're just, they're, they're already getting kind of chunky. And it's like, it sucks because at the same time, it's like, I know you're growing and I know like you're going to be using this, but you also don't need it. You know, you need to build yeah. off what you have. And uh, this is that post from Matt. And I mean, you can see that like that is... Mm -hmm. We would not really classify that as an obese snake. No. Uh, it's a nine-year-old female Ingram's brown snake. Uh, ate her first meal since mid-January. So, I mean, you're looking at a, a snake, that, like I said, that hasn't eaten in a very long time, but clearly it doesn't need. And, I mean, yeah. if you think about it, too, I mean, that's... Uh, Brown snakes, that's a very active snake, too. That's not a snake that's yeah. sedentary like your gaboons or your bloods or, you know, anything like that. So, I don't know. Maybe we're just not giving them uh, enough credit and we're not realizing just how how little they really do need. Yeah, I, I was – it's kind of funny we're talking about this. I just got done cleaning out uh, 23 of my – Neos, my brother's Neos from two two different clutches back in 2019. I've got quite a few left, and I'm just kind of watching them color up because there's one pairing that I'm just kind of watching. I want to see. I think I've got my whole whole batch picked out by now. But uh, they're small, man. I keep them super small, and I did. I was sitting in there thinking while we were while I was going through all of it, am I not feeding them enough? Because I'm. I mean, it's like every 14 days, and I get a small meal, and I just let them roll. You know, I'm not trying to pound them with anything, but they're probably pushing like 18 inches, but they're still probably about as big around as the black part of this lighter right here. So. And it's, it's tough. Cause I mean, even when I was dealing with Cresteds, I had some, like they gained weight and getting it just like snakes, getting them to lose weight pretty much required starving them. I mean, they're, it's a very easy line to cross because they're so it's really, it's damn near impossible to get snakes to lose weight without flat out cutting them off food for an indefinite period of time, you know, and with the geckos, it was even harder. And that's something that, you know, when you have females that are producing and stuff like that, you don't just want to cut them off food entirely. And, and cause that'll have egg problems and whatnot, but that's just, 
you know, I see stuff like what Matt posted and it makes me think like, yeah, we've talked about how obesity and animals is a really big problem in the hobby, but you know, we need to cut it back to what we thought originally, but then do even more. You know? I mean, do you think that like enrichment's like the solution to that? I, I, I don't want to yeah, know. I just, I, my, my thing is, is like, we don't know how many calories they're burning. We don't know how, how often and how long do they need to be running around and doing it. Especially with the more hardy species. I mean, well, especially like brettles, python. Yeah, chondros, brettles. I mean, brettles is going to be moving around more than a chondro, but the biology behind it. Long. Mine does too. Yeah, well, I've got like four stacks of adults and I just click on my cameras at nighttime when I get bored. So I don't like disturb the room and they're mm -hmm. just moving all night long. Scott said this species is in a boom and bust. He's talking about those Ingrams. Uh, they're in a boomer bust place. Uh, he said there could be no rain for nine months and therefore essentially very little food. So that's the case with a lot of species. And there was actually a Herp Nation radio episode uh, which Nick Mutton used to host, and he had uh, Ben Rousseau on. He was talking about boas, and he talked about how in the wild, you know, most boas probably are only eating like six months out of the year, if that. You know, they're really, they're not, they're getting way less meals than what we give them in captivity. I mean, we're, like, my my adult male brettles and my adult green trees, like, I feed them maybe once a month. Just yeah, my big females get a like decent sized meal once every month and some change, probably more. It's over a month. I mean, so, if they lay, if they're laying, I don't I'll obviously feed them a little bit more to bounce them back. But I don't breed them every year. I haven't bred uh, any bread lives since 2019. So, mm -hmm. well, that's uh, that's also part of the whole cutting the mice thing. I think if you're doing that with females that just laid a clutch, you don't have. In theory, I guess this is something I'd have to play around with. Um, like, if you're cutting those mice and they're getting to the, you know, the calcium and the bones and the nutrients from, you know, all the organs and whatnot, uh, if they're getting to that stuff more efficiently, then I think in theory you would ha you wouldn't have to feed them as much coming out of laying a clutch. That makes sense. Just making them use that food, their, their body's getting more of that out of that meal rather than getting yeah. making up for that in the number of meals they're having. I also wonder if the like efficiency rate for absorption of nutrients is the same with mice and rats, or is it a constant? Hmm. I think I mean that would I'm sure that depends on what they're being fed. You know, are That's they true. being fed a block diet? Are they being fed? Um, yeah, kind of like what I that. do with mine. Like I give mine a lot of hay. I give mine a, a there's this awesome bird seed mix I found at Tractor Supply Company that has yeah, buddy. <laughs> Like and yeah, dude, tractor supplies become my freaking place. Yeah, dude. tractor supply is my make. <laughs> it's my home away from home as far as reptiles are concerned. They I got love so tractor much cool supply, stuff man. There. Like I don't even need like horse <laughs> troughs, but I was like, hey, they got one. You know. Uh, uh next try um, they they sell uh, cross cut oats mm -hmm. at tractor supply like for horses. Cut that into uh, some of that that bird seed. I've had a lot, like a lot of success with my SF colony with doing that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I know they're mainly grain feeders, so I, I know you're breeding mice. It's a little bit different, but the the amount of reproduction that I've gotten since I started doing that is insane, dude. 
Yeah, there's. Uh, I have to send you the picture of the stuff I get, but it's got uh, like sunflower seeds. It's got um, like half. It's got peanuts. I'll show you it's what got I got. Almonds, real quick. It's got. It's this massive mix of just a bunch of different nuts and like dried cherries and stuff like that. Oh and, damn! They go crazy over it. Um, yeah, send me a picture of that because I don't know that I've seen that. Yeah, it's like a two pound bag, I think, and it's maybe eleven bucks. But so I just mix like cross cut oats into. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that kind of stuff it's just like wild bird seed yeah. yeah but i'll also take some of that they have that like feeder feeder brick but it's mealworms and sunflower seeds like shelled sunflower seeds and i'll mm-hmm. break that up and man they go crazy on that too like they love oh, you're, mealworms. high pollutant you get the shelled sunflower seeds you got them high end. it mine. just it, yeah it just comes in like a, a brick or a circle that you just put on a feeder and i just break it up and just give each each slot you know a a chunk of it and it's it's gone within 24 hours easily yeah they go through that kind of shit pretty quick i've done also done the dried mealworms on for the asf they love those Mm -hmm. those little dehydrated mealworms but this has been like a love hate project the asf calling i've had it for i want to say since 14 i think and like it's such a i've noticed that they're completely seasonal they don't breed in the summertime mm-hmm. at all. I mean, you may be lucky to get a litter, but I'm also in a garage that I just am running a fan. So there's no, like it gets hot in here. It's not yeah. crazy, but it's like 90 degrees, you know? Um, but then in the fall, they start reproducing like mad. It kind of tapers off a little bit when it gets real cold and then springtime it's nuts. So I've just got to like hit it and feed them when the getting's good and then freeze all the stuff so that I've got food for that off season, you know? Right. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do right now with with a you know pretty much half my collection cooling because it's corn snakes and bears and stuff. Um, just trying a lot to lot of my collection cooling right and, now. Too. Yeah, and just fill up the freezer. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that that uh, plays a, a pretty good factor in it because I mean, just like anything else, you know, you are what you eat, and if you're eating crap food, then you're probably gonna have crap health. And I don't know. That's why I like spoiling my mice, man. I, I I like knowing what's going into them. Like I like knowing what's being fed. That's my biggest issue with a lot of the you know frozen suppliers is you don't know exactly what they're being fed. You don't know how they're being kept, how often they're being cleaned. Like when you have control of all of that, it makes I sleep a little easier at night, I guess. But yeah, and, and it makes it you not feel as bad whenever you have to supplement that kind of stuff that you don't really know where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. You at least know that they're getting really good stuff. Most of the time, most of the yeah. time, because I don't yeah. feed ASFs primarily. It's just something that I mix in with all the other shit that I feed. So it just, I don't know. At least I have control of some of it because it's hard to have control of it all, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And Andy uh, also said, I wonder if cutting for mature females, like cutting mice for mature females would help with tail hang, holding on to defecations, you know, with talking about chondros. And I think it definitely would have some sort of effect on it. Um, just because that because they're getting to the stuff inside faster you know that that sort of bag of skin i guess that you sort of get on that you know the the opposite end um doesn't sort of bind them up as much but i mean who knows i don't everything i'm talking about is completely anecdotal but i you know like i, I said like it takes two seconds to do when you're feeding so <laughs> casey what do you got as far as pairings this year are you doing anything um, okay, so I'm getting a little scared right now. I'm afraid that my brittle stuff, I'm not cooling them down 
enough, like as much this year. Like normally I can go out every night and do it, but this time since I'm in the process of moving, I can only do it a few times a week. And this week um, I've been sick. So I just have not felt like pull my animals out and then put them down yeah. cold. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've just, just not been feeling it. Then it's raining so, and like, we're in different rooms. So I'm are you in a out. situation where you're like, you're moving them out every night and moving them back in during the day and stuff? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what we've always done. Okay. So I'm trying in. I've got a pair of hypo hipstone watch I'm trying out. So I'm really excited about that. I could finally make some full blooded hypo hipstone watch. That's that out. Yeah. And I'm trying, uh, I think I might do a lazy to a forest pairing. So that'll be really cool because that female, Af or the female LASIK is like a really, really pretty, like deeper red. And that male Afwars is like a, like a lighter orange. So I'm mm -hmm. hoping some cool stuff will come out of that. That and female then that, go ahead, sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, 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 you're good. You're good. Uh, that female that I got from uh, Jeff Back a while, I'm sure you're familiar, you've seen pictures of it. Um, it's like 50, 50, her black goes like, 50% up her, up, like, of her body. It doesn't go all the way down that tooth, that last third. Uh, I paired her last, or in 2019, and got a small clutch mm -hmm. out of her, and those are the two holdbacks I was talking about earlier is in a force. I don't know that she's LASIK. She's probably LASIK. But, um, man, those animals, the two that I'm holding back, I'm excited about. I was like, they look better than the forest to Harris stuff that I produced, in my opinion, those two. Really? But the rest of the clutch isn't that great, but you get like, it's so weird when you get clutches and you got all this, like, I'm not, I don't want to call it junk. It's not junk, but it's byproduct. Like it's not what you're looking for. Right. And then you get like one. And if you're lucky, maybe two that you're like, Ooh, I might be able to do something with that, you know, but I really like that pairing. I thought it turned out really great. Those two females I got from you years ago, they're not ready to go because they haven't really been like pushing them hard with food. But I think they'll be ready in like the 2022 season. Yeah. What I'm gonna do with them is I'm going to try to make a clutch of brittles where they have they're basically every bloodline mixed together into one like clutch. that's what I'm talking about. You're talking my that's language awesome. right now. <laughs> so I'm calling like the super outcross pet stone walk pair where they're gonna have 25% hypo, 25% lazy, 25% Afor, 25% Harris. And they're gonna be Actually, the first time anyone's ever done uh, a brittles clutch in the U.S. with foreign-related grandparents. So I'm really excited to try that out. And I'm call it the the Canon Blender line. <laughs> the Canon Blender line. I'm actually like uh, cooling down the the clutch mates of those this year from 2016. Yeah. The female squid, and then her uh, her male counterpart. I, I mean. She's definitely breeder size, but she's on the, she's going to be laying a smaller clutch, you know, but, uh, but I'm fine with that. I'm honestly, after having my Harris girl and she's like laying almost 30 eggs a clutch, I'm like, Oh, I don't, I don't want snakes that big, man. I don't want to deal with 30 baby. It's just like, I like to hold on to stuff too much and holding on to stuff and you got to feed it and then you're cleaning 30 baby. It's just a lot, man. It's a lot. I think they may have been able to go with two girls. Like, they're big enough where they can handle large rats, but I haven't been feeding them large rats that long. Like, it may have eaten, like, one or two before it was time to, like, not eat yeah. for a while. So I've gotten my girl on large rats, or, like, January, I think, of this year, and then she started yeah. putting on some decent size, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna at least going to cycle you and see if you'll go this year. 
I'm not pushing it. If she, if she, if there's no interest, I'll just pull them apart. It's not a big deal. Like I said, I'm not in any rush, but I'm really excited because this will be the first time that I've paired uh, snakes that I produced, which I'm pretty pumped about. So. Yeah, I think so I'm much so better than just buying adults. Oh yeah, like so much more. Sort of. There's just a feeling of accomplishment. I don't think I've ever done that. When you've gone through the years of like getting them ready and getting them there, and you finally get something from it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'm also really excited to see what kind of stuff they produce. Uh, the The male's pretty good looking. Um, the female is badass. She's the probably the best looking uh, bread lie that I have for sure. And the two I got from you. One of them is like just looks like an afterwards. Like she is beautiful. The other one's like a little bit darker. She's still pretty good. Like, yeah. But that like this one, like, oh my god, man, I'm so happy with that snake, and I'm so <laughs> excited to see what she does. You need to send me next time you get a chance. I'd like to see some pictures of her now that she's a little grown, uh, older. I'd like to look at her compared to the, my female that I'm holding back, or that I've got that's <laughs> breeding this season, or hopefully. Yeah, I'll uh. I'm actually doing a new experiment this year. I, I don't know if I mentioned it on the last podcast where I am keeping a, a handful of subadult brettles. Uh-huh. Um, They're talking to <laughs> coat in the globe in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're not far off. It's a, it's a cabin in the woods in North Georgia. So it's a, it is it's a cabin. pretty cold outside, too. <laughs> What were we talking about? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm keeping some brittles at, like, 68, like, for weeks now. And they don't seem to, like, be badly affected by it. They don't care. They it's don't dropping care. down in my cold where I've got mine. Because I don't ever – I don't bring mine in and out. Yeah. Mine are just out. And they get about six hours of, like, 95 degrees on the basking spot. And if they want it, they can do it. If not, too bad, so sad, you know. But it's uh, – a. <laughs> It's not gotten any warmer during the night in here than uh, about 55 degrees, and it's dropped down to like 48 a couple times. So, oh yeah. What are you smoking, Austin? The uh, uh, rum crap and temperance. Oh yeah. There you go. I like it a lot. It's nice. And that Indo binder, man, it's something special. It's definitely delicious. I'm you're bad. Out. You're 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 a bad uh bad influence. I was like, did you just Very buy cigars? I was like, well, yeah, but it's December. This is the December sampler. I bought the November sampler. Yeah, yeah I'm sending. I'm sending the first handful out tomorrow. I'm gonna try and get to the post office like first thing because I got there to get the the flat rate boxes and stuff. I got there today at like just before five, and there was like a line out the door practically. So it's like Jesus Christ, Jeez. I'm gonna have to get there early. But there are still some available. I know Bill was curious. Um, I had much more to work with this time, so it wasn't as limited as the first run. So, Bill, Bill Bradley, or Bill Stegall, or who? Or no, Bill? Um, Bill Bradley. Yeah. <clears throat> Can you explain? I know you've done this for me like thirty times, Casey. But for the people yeah. that don't know, can you explain the differences in the Brettles lines again? So really, it just depends on uh, what the founder animals were. So the Lasik animals, they were founded by uh, a small group of brittles that uh, Casey Lazzy brought in. 
in the uh, mid '90s. I think he bred them the first time in '98. So most bridles in the U.S. are from that one. That's where you get the stripes. You get it's one of the lines you have the stonewash in. Uh, a lot of times they seem to be a little bit darker, but not always. I'm actually one of my prettiest bridles is a lazy line bridles. Um, then you have they the have a pretty high contrast. Yeah, they do seem to a lot of, have a lot of uh, high contrast. I'm going to so try and theory, see if I can pull up pictures to give people an idea. The hairs are a lot like the LASIK, in my opinion. I actually don't have a full-blooded LASIK. I don't, or I don't have a full-blooded Harris. I only have the half ones that I got from Austin. But, my Harris one is a freaking nightmare, dude. She's the meanest snake I have in my, my room. <laughs> dude, she's a... I'm not even playing. Meanest snake I have in my room. And I have Amazon. Dude, yeah, that's, that's saying a lot. A big girl. So we're on Casey's page. Yes, yeah, so that's an Athos. That is my breeder male Athos. Very, it looks and, a lot like my breeder male Athos. They have a look that's just. The, I mean, you can you can pick an Athos out of a lineup for sure. And those are the ones that typically have like less black, right? Yeah. Yeah, maybe a little bit less black, a little more high orange. I've never had a shorter face. Have you seen that, Austin? Yeah, they have a little bit more of a stumpier snout. I mean, Brettles do in general, but the Athors definitely have a like a shorter head for sure. And FYI, y'all, like, I haven't updated this page in years just because I found out like Facebook algorithms like don't don't care. I think that page last now. picture was one of the Athors Harris ones, wasn't it? I think it was. I think I took a picture of back one more. Is that is yeah, no, that's not, is, that's not it. No. Yeah, that that's is a, that's the Afors to um, yeah, that's that's one I got from Austin, I think. Yeah, that's it. That's what. My, yep. <laughs> that's a good looking animal, man. Yes, it is. If I do say so myself. <laughs> I mean, come on now. A little bit of. That's yeah, a beautiful that animal too. My uh, LASIK to hypo headstone washes. I think that's what that one is. That's beautiful. Hypo X A4s. Oh, okay. No, that's uh, yeah, that's one I got from Ralph Linsky then. I didn't produce that one. I lied. That's a pure LASIK. That's a double head stone wash strike. And she's uh, actually gonna go for the first time. I'm not good enough to be able to spot them. Like maybe I just have to look at more of them, but you Honestly, just got it. Yeah. Like I think if you just showed me a bunch of random brittles, I don't know if I could do it. Like, I don't know if I could tell you which U.S. line they came from. Because, honestly, like, there's there's a lot of similarities between all of them. Like, there are. I would say, like, Athorse has more – that's not U.S., but Athorse has more of the orange and, like, Lasik and Harris is more of, like, that brick red color. Mm -hmm. Um, But then again, like, that last one you showed, that that, that was a Lasik line, and it was orange as hell, so it's, it's kind of yeah. – uh, What happened to this dude, man? Where's this guy been? That guy died, and he was super oh, old, and I never got to no, breed him, and I am very upset cool. that nothing ever came out of that. That's like one of my regrets is a, is a snake keeper. Yeah, that girl, uh, That's I think that's a doublehead girl. I think she's up this year to breed. So how many pairings did you say you have? Uh, Three. Three? Three brittle pairings. I'm and only then, doing uh, one brittle's pairing, and then I'm going to... Swing for the Brisbane's again, and then which I don't I don't have any kind of 
thinking that that's going to happen because I've struck out so many times. And then uh, I'm going to pair up the uh, mild line inlands this year too. Yes. Ooh. Oh my god. They're they're in cooldown right now. I'm cycling the Brisbane and that one pair of Brettle and then the or like that 2016 pair and then the inlands in my yeah those three. That's the only three pairings I have for this year. Trying uh, bamboo rat snakes too. So this will be my first year Ooh, trying. That's cool. Yeah, my first year trying colubrids. Uh, so I've got a lock with my Sandrinia pair. Oh, nice. Don't think they're gonna go. I think they might need a little more time to adjust. You have greens or mandarins? I have mandarins. Okay. And then I've got uh, four blue tongue pink pairing trying this year. So. I've been you've been getting that, that blue tongue skink pool pretty hard. Yeah, I did. Like, honestly, <laughs> with that face. What'd you say? Did you say it with that grin on your face? Like, it's painful, but you'd like it. <laughs> Please, sir, may I have another? <laughs> See, to me, this, like, this right here is like the, like, this is how I like my brothers to look. Like, that sort of satiny red. Uh-huh. And it just fades to black. Yes. That one got leukemia and died. That was my first Brettles Python. You're just showing me. You're just going through my old pages. And just, I like, didn't. I didn't want to say anything, but I knew that that animal was dead. I didn't want to. I didn't want to first anybody. Well, <laughs> Spoiler alert! That animal was dead. He got leukemia and died. And he's got random <laughs> pictures of me from 2015. <laughs> <laughs> That's Phil. <laughs> mm. Y'all were talking about iguanas down in South Florida. Uh, I went down to uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law lived in Jupiter. Dude, the amount of iguanas I saw in all the canals while we were peacock, uh, peacock, peacock bass fishing. <laughs> peacock, he's down there peacock bass fishing. And uh, dude, I, there was a big old male sitting just like sunning. It was impressive. Uh, it was it was pretty cool. Freaking dinosaur. For a second, it, for a second, it freaked me out. I thought it was like I thought it was like a a rock iguana or something. And I, we just got closer. No, it was just a real big ass like bull green iguana. Yeah, that's the only way to describe it too. They get red too. Like this dude was like black. Yeah, he was just black and yoked. Just like nothing could fuck with him. There's nothing. That's something like I don't think you realize, like unless you go to South Florida, just how many iguanas are in South Florida. Well, it's a lot. If you look at a range map, like as soon as it stops being like human, like disturbed habitat, iguanas stop. Like iguanas only live because we give them a habitat to live in. Like there's no iguanas in the middle of the Everglades that I've seen. Haven't been down to the Everglades yet. That was this was all in like habit like there's houses and stuff everywhere. We're just in the canals fishing in a bass boat. They're everywhere. I remember going the down the Boca and seeing them this same was like place. six or seven years ago. Boca and Jupiter and all that. Yeah. It's all the same area. Yeah. Damn. I'm gonna have to plug my phone in because I'm at twelve percent, so give me a second. Uh, I need to do the same thing, so hold on a second. So it's not like I got like big 
I'm looking at things on Fauna that I can't afford. Yeah, I do that too often. Is that trio of uh, Angolan Python still up? Huh? It was an adult trio of Angolan Pythons. Uh, like last that's, time. I've looked at Fauna forever, but that's something I've been kicking around. I've wanted Angolans for a while. Yeah. I just never can pull the trigger. I've thought about it too. I feel like they're very '90s snakes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like all like the '90s herpers were like. That's what they wanted was Angolan pythons and Brennell's pythons and Wilma's and that's like all the stuff I want. You want Dumeril's bows? I love Dumeril's bows. I had Dumeril. one and it unfortunately got something and died. I, I kind of want to get back into them though. I'm going to be pairing mine for the first time next year. My male just didn't put the size on. I thought he was going to this year. I thought I was going to be able to. I've got a pretty damn good looking female that I've had for shit like Shit. 2012, so eight years, and I've just never. I took me a, like I didn't get the mail till 2018, and they just grow so damn slow. It, it How big is your female? Um, she's like five and a half feet, probably. Okay, and she is like 20 pounds. Probably, I've never put her on a scale. We pick her. She's a big girl, yeah. and I don't see her that often at all. Like once every two months. Their metabolism is so slow, man. Yeah. I, I actually was feeding her too much and I was, I was feeding her like a python and I didn't, she was like the only bow in my collection. And I was really didn't know what the fuck I didn't, I really didn't know, you know, and uh, I, I started get get, I got her too big and she started getting those lateral folds. And I think there was about a four or five month period. I didn't feed her at all at nothing. And she finally, she kind of started slimming down, but yeah, I definitely, the first part of her life, I was definitely overfeeding her. So like I said, man, it's so easy to, to cross that threshold and get into the point. Where yes. It's just recognizing it, I guess. Like, if you can – I think I've been doing it long enough now. I can kind of – oh, we need to back it off a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I like, I think about, you know, when I first heard the chondros and stuff, you know, I got that first clutch of eggs and I saw the female and I kind of freaked out because I was originally going to do maternal and, you know. Then I saw the eggs and I saw her I was like – Jesus, like no way. But now, like I love maternal dude. Route, she's starting around. I was like, she looks fine. So she's, I mean, she is thinner. I think this time going, I, I'm hoping she lays on the 17th. That'll be day 50 after ovulation. I never got a prelay shed, um, but like I, I have a feeling that even at her thinner size that she's at now, um, she'll still handle maternal fine, and she still will have plenty of resources to be able to handle that kind of thing. You know, I, I just, I feel like. People compen- like overcompensate because they're like, oh, they're going into you know egg season and they're going to need all this fat and all this other things. It's like, I don't know that they do need all the extra, you know, extra calcium, sure, but like all the other stuff, it's like, I don't know. My big Harris line girl can go in, lay eggs, maternal incubate, and come off of them and look like nothing happened. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why I, I mean, she'll have that like she'll have that like. She'll have that pinch a little bit, like down towards their tail, like where it kind of tapers and you get that like rough, like it's like a like folded flappy skin, I guess. Mm-hmm. But once she gets off the eggs, about a week or so, you give her a meal, that's gone. I mean, it's nothing crazy, man. I think they're tougher than we give them credit for, for sure. Yeah, we we forget. For sure, we've been doing this for much longer than we've kept them. Yes, I've done maternal. Uh, Two times, yeah. I've done maternal twice, and both times I didn't I didn't lose a single baby. 
in maternal. No, that's a lie. Last time. time I did, I, lo- I lost one. I did lose one. That's a lie. Full term in the egg. I think that it pipped and then went back in and drowned. But yeah. when you're having clutches of like 25 to 27, you're like, yeah. uh, that's okay. Like Phil says, there's a reason mom has like a billion eggs. Yeah. yeah. But I'm doing well, maternal. I'm really excited. I really hope that I can get these freaking these uh, inlands to go. That would make my year, dude. Oh, my God. Hell, yeah, dude. What were you saying, Casey? I said at least his wrap the egg, though. Mine just scatter them all over the cage. <laughs> Casey's are defective. <laughs> really? They just... <laughs> you haven't had like, one that wraps the eggs yet? My little girl will do it, but none of the other ones I've had lay clutches have ever done anything other than just scatter them around, you know? Yeah. I don't know why. Because I really want to try maternal. It's just they don't want to do maternal. They won't let him. <laughs> you know what would be so cool like with maternal if you got some uh, like ant hills how cool would it be to see like a tiny little micro python wrapped around a tiny little clutch of eggs so i just blinked out and i didn't hear anything y'all just said what were you saying you haven't had anything that's wrapped my hypo girl will wrap but none of my other uh females will wrap they just kind of scatter them all over the cage Damn. I haven't had that issue. I pulled on that LASIK girl last year, but I wish I wouldn't have because she didn't – she had them wrapped up, but I, she was – she'd never been bred before, and I did – I don't know. This, it goes to that, and you're not trusting them enough, and I did throw those in the incubator. I wish I would have just nutted up and maternal them, but – I mean, I'll do it one day. I'm just – You should definitely do it. I'm not turning back this time. <laughs> Well, that's what I said this year, and then he scattered them all over the place and held on to one egg for one day, just long enough for that egg to become a raisin, and it died. So that's I mean, if they're scattering them, that's not meant to be anywhere. Like, you just need to put those in the incubator. But if they'd be high, yeah. I'd, throw, I'd give it a shot, dude. It's cool. I put yeah. a lay box in with my female, and she's been in and out of that every night. You know, she's been... Definitely curling up in there and I think getting ready. So it's just, I don't, do you guys I, ever not have a prelay shed from your brettles though? I always no. have a prelay. My, my, both of mine are like clockwork, man. They both lay like the two that I've had success with in the last four years lay like clockwork within days of the last year. But I also cycle <laughs> on the day and all that crap. I put them mm-hmm. in cool down at the same time. So that's probably got something to do with it. I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have a prelay. I think I'd be pulling my beard out or something. That'd freak me out, not knowing. She she had an ovulation, and I was like, okay, cool. So, like, by the end of November, I should, you know, or late November, early December, I should have a prelay shed. And then the end of no, uh, November and the beginning of December rolled around, and I got nothing. So I was like, what the hell? I was talking to David Bronx about it, and he said, um, I guess he had a conversation with John Irby about it. And Irby doesn't seem to go by the whole prelay shed thing. He's like 50 days after they've ovulated, I'm expecting eggs. So yeah. But if you miss that ovulation, then you're, if you miss that ovulation, you're fucked though. Yeah. Yeah. I've never, I've never had one not do a prelay. Maybe it's more of a chondro thing. I mean, I've heard of it happening with chondros where they were like, surprise motherfucker. Uh, (laughs) But I don't know. I haven't experienced that myself. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm just like, oh, too. Like within 
course in the next like six days. Yeah. When they do uh, ovulate, prelay, eggs, all that stuff. Like it's all like you could set your watch to it. I've got a bunch of Morelia Python radio calendars that I can show you like all the days because I just write it down. Mm-hmm. And I've I've went back just to check it and it's all within like two, three days of the previous season. It's pretty cool actually. Makes me feel like I'm doing something right. Yeah. I just wish they would go at the same time for individual girls. Because I had uh, the one, my stonewasher girl that had the spinal tumor seems to be kind of a, a problem with me where my really pretty awesome females get, uh, get cancer when they get older. I don't really know why that is. But... Uh, water. I was, that, that was what was going through my head. I was wondering if it's water. Well, that and, like, I bought both of them as adults. Okay. Well, yeah. there's that, too. It's hard to say if it was me or if it was just who knows. But, um, yeah, she would, like, super early for a brittles. Like, I'd be getting a brittles clutch at the same time. Like, some people would be getting, like, IJ clutches. I'd get, like... Holy shit. And, yeah, like... So I'd be having baby pants out in like May when most of you guys were getting eggs to begin with. So I'd be getting brettle like way early from her. But then all my right. other ones follow like closer to like when they're supposed to be like, you know, getting eggs in July, babies in August, stuff like that. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm usually eggs in the middle to late of July and babies in September, hatching in September. That's typically my season. Yeah. So I don't know. For some reason, she just cycled super early. Because all my other ones follow, you know, getting babies in September is a general rule. And I, that may, what you said about buying a, adults, I've never purchased an adult. Every red light I have, I have, well, it's not true. I didn't purchase her, but she was given to me. Uh, but yeah. it was by someone local. So she was probably already synced into our weather pattern or whatever. That lazy line <laughs> female. But that is the only adult bredles that is in my collection that I didn't raise from a neonate. So that's interesting. Yeah. I want to keep uh, mine, but I also don't. I think, I think I'm going to beat you. Go ahead, Casey. No, no, I just said he, I think Justin should keep them. That's, that's I, I've already told him that. He, yeah. He, <laughs> I love them. That. Like, I love that pair. They are awesome snakes. But they also take up a lot of space. They do take up a decent chunk of space. At the very least, I keep mine in a my adult females in a two by or it's a two by two by four or whatever. Too four long, Mm -hmm. too tall, too deep. I want to try outdoor so bad. I I was talking to my wife about that. I was like, even if it's just like swapping snakes out and putting one out there and then taking it out and putting the next one out, like not to keep it out there all all the time. But just so they get a little bit of that natural UV and stuff. But I just, I'm also super, I, if something got out, dude, I would fucking, oh. I'm, yeah. I'd be most worried about raccoons more than anything else. Like, you'd have to yeah. we got a lot of possums up, and shit around here. Double up the fence so that, you know, like a fence and then inside that fence is the actual enclosure with fence. Yeah. Use like just hardcore welded machinist mesh or something like that. Something the like plan that I had going out was that. Basically, there'd be two rows of cages, you know, going like down a row, and mm-hmm. then I would close the area between them. So there'd basically be like a hallway. So you got to walk in through a door 
to even be able to access the other cages just in case something did try to get out. Like like state laws in Florida where you have to have the two doors in order to do that. I mean, I, it's smart. That's the way – I think, honestly, that's the way you should do it if you're going to do it. I'm just starting to run out of freaking yard space with the chickens and all my gardening and all that shit that I do that – I don't know. I could probably work something out for one cage where I swapped them out like weekly or something like that. But then I'm worried like what if it gets mites and then I bring the mites into my snake room and then I have, you know, like there's just a lot. I would love to do it. And maybe it is one of those things where you just do it for one snake and see how it works, you know, and don't do that bringing it in and swapping it out thing. I don't know. I mean, I'm no expert at all, but I would only be concerned about the humidity in the southeast, keeping them outside, because I really want to keep mine outside if when I get the ability to. Uh, I just, 100% humidity all the time in the summertime might be a little bit too much. But I don't think it'll bother them, dude. My snake you don't, room. You don't think so? No, my snake room in the summertime gets like 80% humidity, like. Dude, brittles are tough, dude. They don't care. Yeah. They don't give yeah. a shit. That's true. That's true. My female hasn't had heat in like two years. She doesn't care. So my ones that I'm not breeding this season, I'm not pulling them out of the room for cool down, but I did cut the heat off of the room and they're getting food cycled just like everything else. Just so whenever I want to put them in cool down next year or the year after, it's not so much of a shock for them because the room naturally gets colder, you know? Yeah, it's going to do that no matter what. But I like to, I like to, anything I'm breeding, I like to uh, submit to some uh, pretty low temperatures. Yeah, me too. I've definitely when had tell, this year. When I tell people about like, they're like, it gets 48, 46. I'm like, yep. And they're okay. Yep. They're just fine. You got to give them basking during the day. But, and a lot of times they don't even use it. They don't even mm-hmm. get underneath the heat lamp. They're just like, I'm good. I don't need it. It's it's 68 here. That's plenty warm. It is funny, though, whenever you talk to guys that are keeping normal pythons, you know, <laughs> oh, I dropped it down to 73. I'm like, I don't know if my room ever gets to 73. <laughs> Wintertime, like, I would say, like, at nighttime, it probably dips down into, like, the low 70s. And But I, I haven't had any issues with that with, like, the Poplins, the Amazons, or anything. Uh now they're they're they've got heat in their cages, so if it dips too low, it, the heat panel is going to kick on and keep make sure that it's going to kind of stay somewhat warm. You know, if I have a malfunction on my split HVAC system or something like that. But other than that, I mean, they just ride the temperatures. I fight humidity more than I do. Like I worry way more about humidity than I do about like temperatures in my room. That yeah, heater that. That heat, that split HVAC system dries the air out so bad, dude. Mm-hmm. Like it'll take a, you can have almost a hundred percent humidity. You kick that heater on, and you're down to forty in an hour and a half if you're not running the humidifier. Fortunately, it's not a problem we have here. In South no. Carolina. <laughs> in the summer, I don't have that issue, but in the winter time, it's bad. You know what I also have though that I think contributes a lot to my room itself is I have. Uh, like a tadpole tub that is it's a tub without a lid and so it's got pothos growing in it and like a bubbler and i know david brahms has something similar in his room that keeps ambient humidity crazy high but i think something like that um he may have a picture of it actually let me see 
It's basically just a giant tub with pothos growing in it, just in water, and he says it helps with the like the ambient humidity a lot. So do you mean it for actual tadpoles, like for your uh, for your dog frogs? Yeah, yeah. I'll be right back. This charger ain't working. Give me a minute. Let's see. How many species of darts do you have? I know you're trying to get rid of them, but. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, I think. <laughs> That's more than I thought. I thought she only had like three. Okay. Yeah. Oh. I don't know if David has a picture of it on his page or not. But it's like this pothos and this probably 20 quart. Man, it's probably better than that, actually. And it's just freaking exploded with plants. Yeah. Okay, so here. why don't we have Billy explain to me about pothos? Do you know how big pothos get? I know some species get huge. Yeah, like I didn't realize like the little ornamental pothos you get. Those are like the little fresh baby leaves. And that whenever it actually gets to like a mature vine that grows up a tree sometimes the leaves can be up to three feet wide mm -hmm. like three feet long i had no idea and he'd point them out like see that thing growing up that tree it's a pothos I'm like what <laughs> yeah, like i thought a pothos is just a little vine that you have that you no kind of, some of them get huge yeah i didn't know that but and whenever they get big, they these long banana leaf looking things with these uh like slits in them so that the wind doesn't ba uh, bother them mm-hmm so yeah, Billy uh, Billy spooled me in pothos vines uh, a couple weeks ago, and then he gave me a pothos. So I'm hoping that one day is a uh, giant thing like that. Yeah, we have one growing on our front porch, and it doesn't even come inside, and it's been getting into like the 30s and stuff here. And it's that thing can't be killed, man. It's friggin' indestructible. But I mean, that's pretty. That should be better. That's a pretty easy way to to pump up humidity, and you know it's kind of an air purifier, I guess, in a sense too. Uh, David swears by it. So. I always like people to have like a little bit of greenery going in their uh, snake rooms too. I've thought about putting a couple live plants in mine, just to buy, I think it would help with humidity and stuff. I've got quite a few pothos starts. I may just do that and start wrapping them around the freaking uh, the garage door like rollers and stuff like mm -hmm. that or my snake room. Just it may look cool. I've got some clippings growing in some of my uh, some of my cages just in the water bowl. Dude, they're cool it plants. Looks good. I don't know if it makes a bit of difference, but. Okay, so completely on top. What? How do you guys grow your facial hair like you did? Because I'm going on like the longest I've ever been right now, and I feel like my face is covered in steel wool. Like I don't know if like jeans. That's so <laughs> good honestly, jeans that's is the first one. Yep. But like, dude, honestly, that's the put some beard oil in there. Phase. That's the worst phase of a beard is that length. Yeah, because you've got to like curling and then coming back and touching your face and shit, and it makes it really itchy. If you can get past that, uh, my buddy's always like, "Dude, we live in Texas. How come you? How do you have 
this giant long beard. I said, do you see that I don't have any hair on the top of my head? <laughs> Plus, you just he, don't think He rises. It, yeah. <laughs> um, I just don't. I use beard oil. That's the main thing is like yeah. you got to put product in it, dude. Because if you don't, it gets dry and then your skin itches real bad. And like you have breakage and it won't get long. I mean, I know that's way off. Like sounds super diva, but you got to you got to take care of it. It's just like your yeah. hair. You got to take exactly. care of your hair. I just wash mine with the expensive shampoo Katie buys. I, d- I wash mine like with a scrub once every two weeks. Other than that, I just rinse it out real good and put uh, beard oil in it because my skin, if I use like shampoo and shit on it, it starts to fall out. It, my skin doesn't like the soap oh, and stuff. So. Yeah. But, but I mean, you have to do it every once in a while. But honestly, the, my, uh, my sister-in-law is a hairdresser and she said that when you're rinsing it like in hot water, and then you're reapplying oil. It's the same thing as cleaning it. You're doing the same thing. It's not. It's not like you have a dirty face or anything like that. Dan said he would jump on, but Austin's beard puts his red beard to shame. <laughs> it's not a competition, Dan. But if it was, Austin would definitely win. I've had a beard since 2012, so I just trim it up. This is about the length that I like to keep it. I don't like going much longer than this, and it starts to impede my work and shit so yeah i remember back when they did and some final destination shield what, what was what did you say i said i remember back when you were red beard reptiles and those people got mad at you yeah i man they were real nasty about it too man i and i, I was a straight up honest mistake and they started being all like homophobic and like calling me all kinds of crazy shit. i mean i'm not gay but like <laughs> my brother my brother is you know like that's offensive you know and i was like bro you could have totally come at me a different way and been like hey this is our name i mean i did a search nothing popped up and then they started talking all kinds of crazy shit on social media and i was like right on i was super pissed off i was like rage beard reptiles works i'm fucking irritated that's, that's how the name came about, so. so it was somebody else who was already using that name and then they yeah somebody in salt lake i don't even think they're a thing anymore they may be but honestly i don't give a fuck I know that happened. That was, that's a little bit of a sore subject. That pissed me off a little bit. That was not <laughs> yeah. the name, but yeah, that was uh, that was one of them deals where I was just like, you don't have like I would never come at somebody. I would be like, yo, at least like start a dialogue, you know, not come out of the gate and be like, you piece of shit, game. Like that's crazy, dude. That's insane. Mine would but, have been Palmetto State Exotics, but someone had also already claimed that, and I don't think they're around anymore either. So. <laughs> I'm on a coast down there anyway, so proof's in the pudding, man. Proof's in the pudding. Yeah. Right. But that that happened to April Justine recently too. Like she was designer exotics, and then I guess someone else started doing designer exotics, and so then she changed it to designer bloods by design or something like that. I forget. But now, like back then, I didn't really have any clout. Not that I have much now, but I feel like if someone came in and was trying to do that shit to me, I'd be like. Dude, I've been doing. I got a logo. I've been doing this shit for quite a while. I don't. I'm not changing my name. Go fuck yourself. Straight up. I cannot wait for these subox to get big enough for me to breed them. Yeah, I'm pretty jealous of those, man. I, I want them. I remember when Casey messaged me on my email in like 2015. I didn't even know who he was. He messaged. It was a weird way, but he got a hold of me. Like, hey, man. He got, huh? 
it was kind of a weird way. I remember like it was email. It was like it wasn't even on social media. It was an email or something like that. And he's like, "Hey, would you be interested to do a breeder loan?" And I was like, "You know, I mean, I've got plans for that mail this year. We may be able to work something out. Let's talk." And that's how me and you first met each other. It was it was interesting. I think I found it like some way through like the Bush League thing. Yeah, I was on Bush League. Yeah, yeah. We, I think we were both on Bush League back then. And I had that like awesome female that I just mm-hmm. wanted the perfect male for. And I thought the male you had was perfect for. Her. So like, dude, just yeah. we gotta figure something out because this is like too good to not happen. And then it never happened because she died. But Well, and then you got the two that following year you got those two. So it was two thousand fifteen that you messaged me because I was coming up on his first breeding season. And I was really pumped. And I was like, you know, I think about it, but I got plans for him. It's weird how, how the ball rolls, man. It's, it's, it's real strange yeah, yeah, how you meet people in this, in this uh, hobby. So I actually was never on Facebook until you and I talked. Yeah. I remember or being like, dude, you got to get on social media. You got to do yeah. it. So that was pretty fun. I think you were actually my first Facebook friend. <laughs> And we haven't talked face to face until just now, so that's crazy, right? And this isn't even like face to face. No, no. I, I think next time that Southern Carpet Fest, or not Southern Southeastern, because I don't know what the fuck's going on with Southern Carpet Fest, but uh, uh, Southeastern Carpet Fest goes on. I'm gonna make my way down there because uh, I got family down there and stuff, so I could kind of make it a dual trip, you know? Oh yeah. I really want to do it here in South Carolina, but I don't like. You should. We don't have anywhere to like. We don't have a place big enough to really host it anywhere. That's been the problem with Southern for the last few couple years. I think the last one we did was 2018, and uh, since then it's just like you don't want to put it off on somebody else. And I would host right. it, but my house is freaking tiny. Like, mm-hmm. there's just a lot of logistics to go into throwing something like that, you know, and it's asking a lot of somebody to be like, Hey man, can we have a bunch of strangers come to your house? And yeah. you know, that's just, it's asking a lot, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's, I mean, hats off to hats off to P and Cody, man. Cause when you have a house full of stuff like that, you know, it's like, you gotta be pretty uh, trusting in a lot of people to yeah. do something stupid. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, it was the best thing as far as me getting, like, knowing people in the community in 2015 when we had the first one at Bill Siegel's place. It was awesome, man. I got to meet a bunch. It, like, it connected to me to all. Like, I met uh, Eric Burke for the first time. I've been listening to him for freaking three years on the podcast. And then, like, I go to this party that I don't really know anybody, and I get to meet Eric Burke and me and Evan Browder and Eric Burke and Bill Siegel. And Ezra and every, we're all just hanging out till 3 a.m. bullshitting mm-hmm. about snakes. And mm-hmm. these people were strangers hours ago, you know. And it's it's kind of cool how that 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 kind of thing can develop like long lasting uh, friendships and like connections in the hobby, you know. Yeah, hanging out with Eric's cool, man. He came down to Carpet Fest in 2018, and uh, he's I mean he's a cigar guy too. He's not a super heavy cigar guy, but he smokes them and. That was like the best part was just hanging out and like that's it's that's the best kind of sort of get togethers are the one where mm-hmm. it's like everyone just you do whatever you want you know it's not yep no pressure it's, it's not like the, 
you get to see badass snakes like the sickness and hold rough scale python pythons for the first time and it's 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 cool man it's really cool i wish we would get i think now that bill uh, bill he recently retired and moved and stuff i think they're talking about doing it again but now with covid and all that shit who knows yeah yeah that's yeah, that's why we, I mean, as far as, like, Southeast Carpet Fest, you know, next year, I just, I pretty much told P.O. was like, A, this year's was, there was a lot going on, there was a lot involved, you know, it, it was, it was very, very involved, and I was like, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to, A, take a year off because of that, and, you know, and COVID and all that stuff, so, I don't believe there's going to be one next year unless it changes, and, uh. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame, man. It kind of sucks that I haven't got my fix in two years. We've had two years off down here, so it's like, and like everybody thinks that like Texas, everybody's in like these people are in Texas, but it's such a big state. Like these people yeah. are all over the place, dude. Like <laughs> yeah. they're not local. It's not like you just hop in your car and go see somebody. Right. You know, eight hours away. I mean, Bill's pretty local to me. I bet you if I hit him up, he'd let me come over. But he's he lives probably like forty five minutes away from me. But it's just. It's such a cool hang, man. It I don't know. Oh, it's a blast. Oh, I, mean, I agree. It's, it's awesome like the day of, but if you're one of the ones sort of putting it together, it can definitely be sort of stressful. And I was always in charge of the t-shirts, so that was easy mm-hmm. for me. I was just like, I'll do the design for the t-shirts and bring all the t-shirts. That, that'll work. I'll do that. And Scott said, Inlands need to get crazy cold. What did you say, Casey? I said, I do feel like they need to drop the pressure on some of these a little bit, you know? You mean like with the auctions and stuff? Yeah, with the auctions. <clears throat> like I feel like there's a lot of pressure on Harper Fest right now when it really just needs to be a snake nerf barbecue, you know? That's, I mean, that's the first two or three, like t- first two down here were just like snake nerd barbecues, dude. There's a t-shirt involved, proceeds went to USR. That's it. That's pretty low stress, man. I mean, it wasn't at my house, so I don't know the how much that was involved. I'm sure it's pretty high stress for the people that were like Bill, who was hosting, and Tony did it in 2018. So I'm sure that's stressful. But well, I think it'll be fun is just do like a herping, well, a herping trip. Yeah, I would like to go out to West Texas. We were, exactly. We were supposed to go out to West Texas in oh, September. Boy. Me, me and Evan and and uh, Ezra and stuff and and. Uh, few other guys and it just COVID and all that shit. It just didn't happen, man. I've got a bad, I've got a pretty nice, uh, 1991 Jeep Laredo grand or Cherokee, not grand Cherokee, Cherokee. That's all four by four and lifted and shit. I think it'd be fun to take it out there and do some herping, man. Absolutely. That would be fun. Um, I haven't done any field herping really. I don't do a whole lot of it. I mean, I found that sweet black racer the other day, Casey. Casey saw it. I did. I watched it. He, uh, he had no fear whatsoever in picking up this black racer. It was just, just shitting and biting all over you, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, um, <laughs> that indigo you found was pretty dope, Casey. I yeah, can't what happened it. to us talking about – we're supposed to be talking about field herping. We were talking about field herping. But, yeah, I did not find it. I can't take oh. credit for it. It was out with KJ. Okay. Uh, KJ Pusser, and it was crossing the road. We found it. He was able to kind of, like, 
You're not allowed to touch it. It is a federal crime. So we just had it kind of coped this way without touching it. (laughs) So we were able to kind of get some quick pictures and then just let it go without touching it again. Yeah, without touching it. Without touching it. (laughs) For the record. Federal crime. That's pretty cool. Was it like a big one or was it kind of? It was a pretty good size one. I would say this thing was easily like five and a half feet. And it was thick too. I I always wanted to go down to South Texas and find the Texas Indigos. So cool. So this one though, KJ said like basically that might have been the rarest thing we could have found that day too. Because it was middle of November middle of the day and North Florida where really like indigos are not super common to begin with. But we think what it was, was like a nearby property. They were uh, hunting with dogs. So we're wondering what I think might've happened was uh, maybe like one of the dogs kind of like stirred it up a little bit. Flush it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably a good thing that they, that they didn't find it because who knows if they would have, Oh, they would have. Every good snake's a dead snake. It's a cottonmouth. <laughs> Kill it. Yeah. The story KJ finds of like the stuff he found, like hunters just recently running over, just is horrible. Yeah, I got my dad to like not. So my dad was not. He's not a snake guy at all. And yeah. after he lived with me, like up in my spare bedroom for like three years, paid rent, whatever. He's a trucker, so he's gone a lot. And I've kind of changed. He used to go out of his way to run him over and do all kinds of crazy stuff, right? And uh, I've changed his mind on snakes completely. And it's almost got like it's gotten to the fact, like the point where he's now like he still doesn't want to touch them or anything like that. But he understands the role that they play. He respects the role that they play. And now he's teaching people who also have the same perspective as he does that are also truckers doing the same shit he does about them and trying to get them to not run them over when they see them on the road as well, which is kind of a cool thing, man. That is a really cool thing. Yeah. Yeah, you hear some of the things people, like the myths and stuff, and it's like, what made you think that was reality? Like a milk snake sucking on a cow's feet to get milk? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's insane. Or the coach whip, like, rolling itself into, a, like, a hoop and chasing you. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. When have you ever seen a snake do that ever? Yeah, no, no never. I'm not gonna lie, it'd be super cool to see them if they could no, actually. If I, if, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! It actually does happen. That's a species that I never, cool. I never see or never find or coach whips. I've, I've seen yeah. a couple coach whips. I've never been able to grab them, but I've seen them. I think I saw one down in uh, Sally Land, South Carolina, but that's it. If you go around some of like the sand, uh, the sandy areas around Daytona, I've seen the pink ones out there. Oh, cool! Yeah, That's badass. They're really cool snakes, man. It's a shame that you can't, like, I don't know. It seems like it's not an ethical thing to keep in captivity unless you have like an entire room and all that shit. But they're pretty neat snakes. The buttermilks are awesome. Like the buttermilk racers, I love those. I've never seen those. Ooh. Stand by. <laughs> We're gonna show it. 
I don't know why they're called buttermilk racers, but because there's nothing about these snakes that says, oh, yeah, I think of buttermilk when I see that. Well, they break into people's houses and they drink the buttermilk. I guess. <laughs> they get caught in the middle of the night, open the refrigerator. Oh, shit, you got me. Not in the buttermilk. <laughs> I was marinating some chicken. God damn. <laughs> Wow, that's pretty snake. What are you talking about? I totally see it. I mean, I mean do people put pepper in buttermilk? Yeah. <laughs> if you're marinating chicken. Yeah. I'm sure they're just as volatile as the blacks. That's cool, man. I don't know. Racers are cool. They're just like, I see them now and I'm like, I ain't even going to bother. <laughs> I never get the chance usually. They're already gone by the time I see them. Yeah. These are really cool too. This is another racer. Drymobius. How's your little uh, Mediterranean gecko colony going? Um, Like almost all of them escaped. And they're in my oh, garage here somewhere. Yeah, I've got them in my garage. Occasionally I see them in my snake room. They're just, I wonder, I always wonder like if they get into like the Amazon tree boa cage or something, if they would eat them. I don't know. Yeah. Cause I mean, my room's sealed off for snakes, but it, those little geckos can get through anything, dude. Yeah. Well, I also have, I think they went up, there's a, a big enough gap above me here. Yeah. That they, they probably went in the attic. So I don't know. I, I managed to get one and I, I froze it so I could use it to scent for the boiga uh but i i assume they all got out because i saw one in the corner like a couple like a week or i've so got a couple ago. i've got a couple tanks that i that are just sitting around i think this next spring because i've got a at like an ass load of them that live on my back patio yeah then we find like eggshells and all kinds of stuff but uh i was thinking about getting some just for i don't know to have that as a scenting option and stuff like that. And if I can mm -hmm. breed them in captivity for a while to where maybe they won't be so parasite ridden and all that jazz. So, Yeah. I'm going to try feeding, uh, like offering a scented pinky again, uh, to those boy, probably after they shed here, I'm thinking they're going to shed in the next couple of days. So, man, I, I, I really would like to get into Boyga. I just worry about, I get, how hands off can you be? Like, can you be, can you treat them and, and act, interact with them like they're a hot hot? Or do you have to be hands on with them? Um, I mean, if I have to do anything as far as like stuck shed or something, I just tube them. Okay. I just, I couldn't, I'm too allergic to weird shit, man. I, I yeah. if I got bit, something weird would probably happen and I'd end <laughs> up having to go to the hospital. And I really want to, I would love to keep them, uh, the, what is it? The nigriceps? Mm -hmm. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, I would like to get some of those. Uh, but I don't know. I'm like on the fence. I don't know. I feel like yeah, it's kind I mean, of it, on the dice a little bit. My adults are pretty well behaved for the most part. They're definitely nervous snakes. Um, you know, they're, they're most of the time they just want to get away from me as fast as possible. But mm -hmm. like the babies, the babies will, you know, they'll rear up and stand their ground. But my adults, for the most part, they kind of, they'll, if, if I have them cornered or something, they'll, they won't hesitate to take a few swings, but you know, if you use hooks and stuff, I mean, they're really not anything. What was your hatch rate? 
on the. I got a clutch of nine. I had five come out, and then I lost like two of those five died for whatever. One of them I kind of figured would die because it was like the one that took the longest, and it was pretty runty compared to the other ones. Because um, mm-hmm. three of them all weighed six grams, and then. The other two, one was five grams, one was four grams. The four gram one was the first one to go. And then the other one, um, the five grammer, he just, I don't know why that one died, but I mean, whatever, you know? Yeah. Is that train too loud? Do I need to mute my mic? Sorry. Nope. Guys. That's fine. I'm inside my garage this time, so I was hoping <laughs> that it wouldn't be so bad. Yeah, I forgot Bill. Bill has uh, one or several. And he says Illinois requires him to treat them like they're hot, hot. And I mean, that's that's the smart thing to do, period, with anything rear fang. I, it's the only way that I could keep them. There's, I, I like, just couldn't risk it. I feel like I beat that that horse to death, dead horse to death. Uh, you know, it's like, it. yeah, is it going to kill you? Is it going to put you in the hospital? Probably not. But It just depends on you. Why find just, out? Yeah, r- rolling that dice. Yeah. Also, like Barons, Joe just got a Barons yeah. racer. I would love to have Barons, man. I think they're mm-hmm. badass snakes, um, and I like the size that they get too. It's kind of, it's mm-hmm. pretty impressive. The uh, the book I'm reading right now that's Venomous Bites from Non Venomous Snakes. It talks about colubrids and rear fanged, uh, you know, rear fang species, and they talk about Phyllodryas a lot because um, there's one species in particular. It's not Baroni. It's uh, the Ulfersi or Ulfersi. Um those have been a good bit of people, you know, in their native range. And, um, there's, they, there's a story floating around about that species that it killed somebody, but the book basically said like, they have no idea if that actually happened or not. There was no information sort of back that up, whether it was something yeah. related to some, another injury. Um, so, I mean, Philodryas, I do think they are of the rear fang stuff. I think they're kind of right up there with Boiga, you know, they are, yeah. They could. There is a potential for some medical significance. Um, yeah. But my adult cyania, because Miguel asked, uh, probably my female's probably four feet. My male's probably about three ish. I bred them surprisingly small. I think a lot of people probably would have waited at least another year or two to pair them. But I got a wild hair and uh, yeah, two clutches. So yeah. So, so I have three they, they, They'll double clutch? Yeah. That's badass. How big is the second clutch? Second clutch was eight eggs. Damn. Yeah. That's substantial. Usually whenever yeah. I, any of my colubrids that double clutch, the second clutch is trash. It's never mm-hmm. good at all. So. I, I wiped the lid in the incubator last night, and I don't know how well this clutch is going to do. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely – they weren't large – cyania you know they're but yeah i only paired them once and she had a shed and i was like oh that's weird she just shed not that long ago and then she refused food and then i took a closer look and she was really fat in the you know the back half and i was like oh she's got another clutch coming so that's badass yeah i hope you have luck with those i think uh, yeah, getting a feeding and stuff that that'd be really substantial that's pretty cool yeah i mean yeah, the only other just Tail them until they start taking off is kind of the – that's the easy route. I'm going to try scenting and some other stuff before I do that. So, Yeah. I, uh, I've i kind of gotten to – and that's probably not the way that I would work with something like that or like especially like 
my pop wins, stuff like that is like typically if you're a non-feeder i'll go through the motions i'll do the best i can to get you going but if you're not going to eat yeah uh, sorry like it's just not meant to be now i wonder if my tune will change if i ever produce pop ones or something like that i'm sure it will but with this stuff that's established in captivity like brettles and stuff like that I, mm-hmm. if you're not going to eat then it's just not meant to be, man. I, I'm not going to sit yeah. here and fight with you for a year and try to give you like I already give a lot of different like prey options. It's that's kind of how I do things. And if you're not going to try one of the six different things that I feed, then uh, I, don't I don't know. Maybe that's just me being lazy, but it's kind of my idea. But I mean, if it's something that you know, like brettles, which should it be you know trouble free as far as getting them started like yeah you know but i think with like chondros and boiga and some of those like rhino rats you know some of the specialized stuff yeah it's almost a requirement that you have to do the you know the do the dance and the stupid bullshit and like with with the poplins it's from what i've heard and talked to people that have bred them and stuff it's like it's just part of the deal it's like they want they want uh foul when they're born like when mm-hmm. they're young that's what they want and so you just got to give them that and you have to present it a certain way. I've gotten quite a few very young pop ones eating, and it's all about how you present it. I'm sure Eric's talked about this on NPR, and it's 100% true. You have to present it like head first, perfect, and they have to hit it just right, and it's got to be what they want. You know, I've got a couple of uh, pop ones that they will only take foul, and that's just what it is. I've got one that will take whatever you give it, and that's awesome too, you know. Uh, and typically I've found that once they get a certain age, they kind of switch from that, like only wanting bird to eh, whatever it is, I'll take it, you know? Yeah. So it's just having the patience and I guess having the ability to, to procure the food that they want. And luckily I'm able to do that, but. Yeah. And that's like what Matt's saying, you know, people think wig are hard to breed and, you know, he said they're just hard to acclimate. And that's definitely the truth with imports. Um, I'm a firm believer that whether it's import chondros or import boiga, if you can get them as small as possible, you're going to have the, you know, much easier time with them. Um, yeah. Cause once they, you know, once they do come off tails or whatever and they start eating on their own, like they're, they're, you know, they're, they're pretty bulletproof. Um, but I am, I do want to try some, some dart froglets cause my potatoes produce like crazy. Um, I want to see maybe some, some some small frogs. I think at that size, I mean, they come out so small, it's unbelievable. Um, you know, they probably come out about the same, not not a whole lot smaller than a chondro. Um, and I think had, I, at that size, I, small geckos and frogs are probably a pretty good chunk of their diet. Yeah. You, I mean, you would, yeah, definitely, you would think that that that's because that's what they can handle, right? That's, yeah. That's what's all over the place. So. I also, another thing with like the import stuff is, and I would, I wasn't, I think it was just lack of experience, you know, but I didn't believe the whole don't deworm them as soon as you get them, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. I thought, no, deworm them. And then I had two different, like I had an Amazon crash on me when I did that. And I almost lost one of my Poplin imports because mm-hmm. of that. And I can tell you, I probably won't deworm something until I've had it for a year from now on, if it's an import, just because it, it, they crash, man. It's bad. Like, yeah, bad. I think it's, it's the, it's the combination of the stress, you know, being immunocompromised and then, yeah. you know, you putting these drugs into them and I think it's, 
that just that does a number on their you know their kidney and their livers and stuff like that. Uh, it's one of those things that I wish that I would have listened to other people that like did it before me and not had to like deal with that. I don't know. Sometimes I'm hard headed as fuck and I just do what I want to do. And if I don't know, that's just that's definitely a piece of advice that I think that if you're dealing with import, unless I don't know, I I, I still think that if you can get it feeding, that should be like feeding and yeah. hydrated. That's yes. number one. That's it. If you can get it feeding and hydrated solid, do that. And then after that, if it's like then, however, if you feel like you should, I don't know, man. I'm even on the fence of doing it like six months into it. I don't know. If they're rocking and rolling and you're not seeing a bunch of parasites and worms and stuff coming out of them, I, I don't know. Well, you think I've about had it, animals like that. You think about it too. I mean, the point of the worms and stuff isn't to kill the host. Yeah. So. It's really, I mean, yeah, it's you probably don't want them any, there any longer than they need to be, but at the same time, it's not like a you know a viral or bacterial infection where it's like we got to fix this like right now. Yeah, it's like these things are gonna do what they do because you know if they kill their host, then what's the point of their existence? You know, and that's yeah. that's the biggest thing I hear with like imported Ganyasoma and you know imported uh, like adult Boiga. You know, if you treat them like straight out the gate, you're you're really putting yourself in an uphill battle. Uh, yeah. Cause I was told with Ganyasoma, especially like, don't, don't touch them with any dewormer or anything for, you know, as long as you can really. Um, and even then I've noticed with my Jance and I, you know, my female, when I first got her, she had a few BMs and I could, there were some worms in there. Uh, but I haven't seen any since. So I think also once you get them eating on a cleaner food, you know, that isn't loaded down with nematodes and, and mm-hmm. other stuff like that. You know, it does sort of cut back a little bit, but I don't know. I, it's deworming, I mean, it's easy because you just, I usually just go get some Fembendazole from Tractor Supply or something. And, yep. <clears throat> you know, inject it into food and... and this feed know, it whatever, off and it's, but, it's a, yeah. But yeah. It's, it's an easy thing not, to do, but it's I'm also not. something that, like, you can fuck up and yeah. do too early, in my opinion. Yeah, and the the worst case I had, and this one didn't crash or anything, and it was my first pop one, and so this is what like gave me. I was thinking like my thoughts had some validity. Was this? I got this my first pop one in wild caught, probably like a six foot animal. Whenever I got her, or him, it was a her. That's a him. It's the least uh, gender of, of pop one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so like I ha- she was in here. He was in quarantine. And I had him for about a month. And like, so I think I was feeding cleaner food and I was getting like balls of like red roundworms, no fecal material, just like a ball of red roundworms that it was like expelling, you know? So I saw that and I hit it with a dewormer and there's no problem. Mm -hmm. And then the next one that I got in, I did the same thing and it, it fucking crashed like bad, bad. And, uh, it's just, I mean, it's a shock because you also think if you're killing those parasites and stuff, you know, they're not exactly coming out of the body right away. So there is a chance, I guess, of like sepsis or something like that because you have a decaying organism in the organism. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you get blood infections and stuff like that. And, you know, it's. Yeah. She ended up bouncing back. She was fine. She's fine now. She's probably my favorite mm-hmm. pop one I got. But it was, it was scary, you know, and she was in rough shape when I got her. And honestly, like hindsight. So I purchased her in 2018. So hindsight, I should have never done any of that stuff, you know, but now I know and I won't do it again. I'll tell you that. I was listening to, I think, uh, Al Cortez. I think that's his 
No, I, I can't remember his Points. name. The yes, the um, talking about importing like boom slangs and atrox and stuff, and he's like, don't touch it with any dewormer, anti-parasites, any of that stuff until you had it for a year or so. And uh, I think that, as y'all were saying, it, that, that's kind of the rule of thumb. Unless you absolutely have to, and then, well, the animal might die anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think if you bred snakes, sure. period, you're going to yeah. have some percentage of, of nematodes or something. Like, yes. Even, yeah. if it's, yeah. even if it's a captive bred animal, they're going to exist. You know, it's, it's a matter yeah. of is the animal's immune system being able to hold up to that and sort of, you know, is the parasite load being at a, a manageable level to where the body is sort of in sync with it and it's, you know, borderline symbiotic, I guess. Um, but it's when those animals get immunocompromised and they're stressed and they're, yeah. you know, their whole system's just on red alert that those, yeah. those little bastards... All the secondary shit starts happening. That's what happened yeah. with the pop one. And she got a real bad... Uh, upper respiratory and was like blowing mucus everywhere i was like shit man <laughs> you don't see these very often and like to pick them up and i just fucked up big time but luckily she bounced back but so casey you said sorry go ahead go ahead i'm i was changing I was topics, say, like, so all the continue. all the eastern hog noses that i've when i worked at you know the nature center at my first job we had eastern hog noses uh and those almost always seem to have a shelf life where you know after about a year they're dead and it's you know if you're feeding you, i noticed too all the ones that i've that i've seen that died in captivity that were wild caught um they just had worms like coming out of their mouth and i it, it you know i don't know what it is about them in captivity where they're eating toads and they're getting these parasites and they're not surviving versus them being out in the wild and having these parasites and doing fine you know maybe it's just that captive environment but stress maybe i mean that's a pretty uh, yeah i mean that's yeah. the only thing i can think of but you know it's it's odd that you can have like at some point they do sort of take hold in some species and it just doesn't work out. But yeah, I don't know. You were talking about North. You've got, I saw you've gotten into Northern emeralds and I had one that had that chronic regurge and I bought it for a year and ended up passing on me. Uh, so like what's your collection of uh, Northerns? Look, if you're willing to share, what's your collection of Northerns? Like your numbers, I'd like to know. It's, I want to get back into emeralds again. It's just, that was a shit experience, but uh, yeah. yeah. I was wanting you to talk a little bit about that. Uh, I've got five of them right now. And so far, they're all fine. I had one die, which was a captive born and bred baby, but it was kind of runty. So maybe it's just mm -hmm. kind of never really meant to make it. Mm -hmm. And then I had another one that I believe this might have also been captive born and bred that wouldn't eat for me. But I sent it back to Gary Savina, who I got it from. It ate for him. Then he sent it back to me. It wouldn't eat for me. And then I ended up just, uh, I contacted Warren Booth and I was like, hey man, like, I, I'm either going to bury this thing in my backyard or I'm going to give it to you. So just figure it out. Yeah. And I sent it to him and it ate within like a couple of days. It just didn't like me. Yeah. So, I talked to him for about four hours on the phone trying to get mine going, Warren. And it just, it sucks, man, because it's like such a slow, like, shitty decline because you have this animal that's like seems to be doing well and then all of a sudden it's just puke you wait a month and a half two months feed it again puke and you're like fuck man it's it's really irritating but i mean all my other ones are fun like yeah i've just really had these uh I guess in general, you know, so i've had three problem animals and then 
the rest of them are just they're great. Like they're not hard to get feed. They're uh, really doing pretty well. I've raised a couple of them from being uh, so a couple of the ones I bought were born green, but I bought a few that were born red. So that's been kind of cool to watch, like that color progression go from uh, red to green. Yeah, but mine was one, mine was red, and it started going green before it died. But but the one that's growing up, it digests the uh, like all the internal organs. It does not seem to be able to digest the fur. Mm. If that makes sense, like when it yeah. regrows, it's like a little fur pellet kind of thing. Yeah. So, and I've seen it poop, and I've seen it shed. So like I know. If it poops, that means it's getting some nutrients, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, like something's going through the digestive system yeah. going through the body. So I'm not like completely going to call it a lost cause. I decided that I was going to try uh, – if I can find like hairless mice, I'm going to try that just to see if like maybe it just can't handle fur right now. Maybe like it'll be able to handle fur in a couple months. But yeah. I don't know. Have you tried feeding birds? Uh, I have not. I don't really know where to get – uh, I guess I could get some quail, like Dale quail. You could get some like Dale <laughs> button quail that, but like it depends on how big. They, mine, I don't know that it could have handled even a button quail, man. I don't know I how small yours is, is, but it was it was small. Mine was. Let me see. Hold on, I can probably go get it. It's right over here. Okay. Cool. I'm gonna go make a drink real quick. I'll be right back. Yeah, Phil had me thinking about that whole, like, with the crypto episode we had the other night, you know, are, ant like, emeralds just hypersensitive to, you know, crypto that might be in corn snakes or something where they're completely asymptomatic and have no problems, you know, are they, is that the reason they have that regurge problem? Because, you know, if anybody listened to that episode, that was one of the, sort of the telltale signs is continuous regurge um, was crypto, you know. Yeah. That was a, so it's interesting to think about. So here's the puker. Awesome. Yeah, Bill, I mean, that could be it. Bill Bill asked, you know, should they be eating lizards then if they can't deal with fur? And that's very possible. Oh, that's would... a beautiful animal, dude. Yeah. yeah. It's a little puker. <clears throat> a little puker. Yeah, mine didn't even get that big, I don't think. I've got pictures it? of it on my – I've got pictures of it on my Instagram probably like a year or two ago i can't remember when it passes a while ago but it was a beautiful animal man but that's a it sucks when you get an animal that you're super pumped about and it just crashes man i'm gonna yeah. see if i can let me see if i can get my anaconda please el condro that's what we mean call them. <laughs> mine was uh mine was uh uh what do you call it uh Captive born from a gravid female import mm -hmm. is what they said. So, I'd like to get some eventually. I don't. I think I'm going to go basins. I think that's what I'm going to end up doing. I'm just going to pony up the cash and get basins and be done with it. Yeah, I'd like to keep them, but it's not anywhere near the top of my priority list. I would say it's it's up there for me. It's top three for sure. I, I'm. I don't know. I really dig my Amazons, uh, but I'm good as far as numbers with those. And then I would say uh, basins. And then I want to get a one of those red albino bull snakes just to, yeah. to complete my set. But there we go. Oh yeah, give it a kiss. <laughs> oh yeah, this is especially this one. Boop it, snoot. Boop it, snoot. <laughs> New lip piercing. <laughs> 
Are any of yours tracked? Can you hold handle any of yours or no? Doesn't look like um, it. I <laughs> Honestly, man, I treat these guys like they're venomous. Like, I know what their teeth look like, and I just don't want anything to do with one of their bites. You know? Yeah. No, I got bit by my, my small one, and I was like, holy shit. And it was yeah. not a big animal, and it hurt, dude. I've been nicked by this one. Like, just a little nip, and I bled a lot. Yeah, that's how this, the one I got bit with was just a small little nip, and it was quite a lot of blood and pretty painful for the size of snake it was. I want Rushi's. That's, if I'm going to do Corrales, man, i got to get some Rushi burger. Those are really oh, sweet. Rushi's are cool. I, I would like to get some annulated as, annulated as well. Those are cool. Not those dirty brown ones either. The really pretty orange ones. No, uh, there's one on the top of my my list. There's one of those nice orange. There's a nice orange male on Morph Market right now, going for two G. So I was like, man, I wish I had the cash. Ooh, I wish I had it. But I really dig uh, Corrales in general. They're just badass. I've had a handful of Amazons, you know, over the years. My, me and Jake went in on a trio last year, the year before last. And then we ended up losing all three of them, and that just left a bad taste in my mouth. And now I'm like, you, like they passed away? Yeah. Damn, dude, that sucks. Were they wild caught? Uh, I believe they were in ports. Yes. <clears throat> I bought three of my four are captive born. I've got one red uh, import, and it seems to be doing okay. But I, that's what I hear with those uh, uh, Hortolanus imports. Is like they'll be rocking and rolling, and then you'll go in there, and they're just croaked. Yeah. After like a year or two. So. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I've I've had captive bred ones in the past, and I mean they're cool snakes, but I just like I said after that, I'm like, man, I, unless it's a, a Rushi, I'm not I'm not dealing with it anymore. Rushi's a badass. Then I see some of the ones that people post, you know, and I'm like, man, those Amazons are nice. <laughs> what a miss. I really dug that that uh that anaconda phase is dope, man. I like that, dude. I love the anaconda phase emeralds. Like They're, honestly, I see a lot of people breeding emeralds for high white, but when I look at them, I want them to almost. I either want anaconda phase or like very low white. To I me, like I want both. <laughs> and I've got both too. Like I've got uh, some pretty high white northerns. I like I mean, those crosses. Have you seen those seventy five percent crosses? So those good. are. Sick, dude. Those are insane. It's kind of funny with Boa. It's like I'm kind of a hybrid guy, but with pythons, I'm pretty much a purist. Yep. Yeah, dude, I would agree with that. I've seen some pretty dope hybrid, like the the northern the the northern uh, emeralds to the. I know that they don't live. Typically, they die, but those hybrids of the uh, the Hortolanus and the the northerns are pretty mm-hmm. sick. The coolest snake hybrid ever. In yeah, my opinion. it's pretty cool, man. <laughs> It's sad that it doesn't live. Yep. Not one of them looks the same. It doesn't seem like, at least the pictures that I've seen, they all look completely different. It's like that variability that with the uh, the Amazons naturally have, just when you mix in that weird color change all the emeralds have, it's just bizarre mm-hmm. what you get. Yep. Yeah. It's the Carpondro of the new world. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> But I dig the hell out of them. I, I can see myself going down the the Corrales rabbit hole pretty deep, man. Yeah, I just 
I don't know if they don't live, like I've heard different ideas as to whether or not they live like if they don't live well because people don't keep them well or if they don't live well because like you got to think like the body structure of an emerald versus genetic mass. So like, yeah. Well. Completely yeah. different. Yeah. Genetic dumpster fire. <laughs> it's a beautiful genetic dumpster fire. It yeah. is. That's probably why it's beautiful though. You're taking two like completely incompatible body structures and just trying to like find a way to make them. Yeah. <laughs> like, can you imagine what that animal's organs and shit probably looks like? Get like an Amazon part with like an emerald lungs and like. <laughs> it's probably just a dumpster fire. Like, it's probably a reason why they don't want to it looks it looks all pretty on the outside and looks like the elephant man on the inside. <laughs> My body doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> ah, just kill me, man. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't know that I would ever attempt it, but I just, I see pictures of them and they look super badass, man. I would probably attempt it, but actually, now that I've like actually put those thoughts into words, I realize like, oh, there's probably like. Probably a bad thing to exist, but they're so cool looking. Yeah, I think that maybe like, and this is this is probably blasphemy as hell, but like I think maybe an annulated is probably closer to Hornolanus for a hybrid than an emerald is. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Probably. Have you seen I, that new? Well, not, not the new species. The species they yeah. thought they yeah. look like. Dude, those look prehistoric. It looks like something really? out of like a eighteen sixties biology books like illustration sketch. They really do. Which ones? I can't remember what the hell they're called. They it almost looks like it's like a scrub python, but a boa is what it looks like to me. It's like a weird I don't know. What do you know what it's they're like called? You took a rattlesnake and mixed it with an emerald. And that's what it would yeah. look like. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's probably closer for sure. The, like, the Cropeni? Yeah, Cropeni. Yeah, that's it, that's uh, it. The Cropeni. Yeah. Those things are pretty sweet. I'll pull up a picture of those. You those are really badass. The they've actually taken a picture of. Yeah, they're like a freaking lance head and a and a horchulanus head. Yeah. Their body structure is super similar to, similar to an emerald. I'm curious yeah, they're, to see they're thick boy status for sure. Ooh, they're really cool looking. Very odd. Yeah, I'd probably get into those if I could. <laughs> like the head. Yeah, I think they've only seen them. like two of them in the last thirty years or some shit like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, they're they're very close to being gone forever. Yeah, like all those pictures are of one animal. That's. <laughs> Didn't they find like they found one like two years ago? I thought they found another one recently. I think maybe you're I'm, right. Maybe I'm off. I think they knew from like science that somebody found one. Like they knew they existed, but I don't think yeah. they ever found one alive. I think they found one just on a road. Mm. Dude, that's a shame. You imagine finding something like that road killed on the side of the road. Oh my god! Be like finding a thylacine. Really good looking at yeah, really. Yeah, I've been trying to work with my my Hortolanus, just doing like a little bit of like low key handling and stuff with them, trying to get them to just a little. I don't ever expect them to be like a hardcore handled animal, like handleable animal, but I would like to be able to at least 
manage their cage and stuff without them like popping me and stuff. And it seems to be working. They're mellowing out a little bit. My captive born stuff, my, my wild caught uh, male is a fucking nut job, but um, uh, I would just like to be able to make like do maintenance on the cage, pull them out without being lit up. And what I found is with them, if you go underneath them and you're not coming at them like face forward, you get a lot better reaction for sure. That's kind of how I was able to handle uh, ring pythons. Okay. You, <laughs> I forgot you, had those. you still have those? No, no. That was uh, like a joint project with me and Don Patterson. So I was actually okay. selling those. Okay. So I, uh, I may get an adult pair eventually, but we'll see. Yeah, those are really cool. They are really cool. Those, are, those would be on, I would say those would be on my like top 10 list for sure. They're, uh, they're okay. <laughs> I've actually had them and I got to say they're, they, they're okay. <laughs> it's just an okay animal. <laughs> they're, they're not a joy to keep. We'll put it that way. Yeah. Well, that kind of sucks. What they have like, in, in appearance, they lack in personality. Yeah, they, they very much. They have a I was hoping up. that they would be kind of like the poplins a little bit, but my poplins are bad. I love interacting with them, even when they're pissed off. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, rings like rings don't move like a python. They move like a colubrid. Okay, and they have like a colubrid. Okay, so they're very quick. They're very jumpy. Uh, they like to bite. Yeah, they very much like to bite. Uh, they're spazzy. They must. But I don't like my like. I say I've got I've got all this hortolanus, like these four hortolanus. But mine don't like my wild cattle musk like a son of a bitch. Amazon musk is the worst. It's awful. It smells like a tire fire, dude. Yeah, it's it does. Gross. Burnt rubber. It's yeah. Oh, it. Oh, but uh, the 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 captive born ones I've got, they don't really musk, man. And I that's the really the I don't mind if I get bit, I get bit, whatever. But the the whole smelling like shit or like because that musk is hard to wash off too. Yeah, they musk you, and you're like, dude, I smell like like it, it's so bad. It smells like you've been rolling around in a dumpster. It's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> dumpster juice musk. <laughs> <laughs> You ever been mucked on by uh, by baby brittles? Yeah, my first clutch yeah. of the Force Harris line, uh, there was about like four or five of them in that clutch that must a lot. And, but it, it was like the first two months of their life and just over me like routinely cleaning them and stuff, they stopped doing it. But it kind of threw me off a little bit. I was like, shit, I didn't even realize that was a thing. But it's not really that bad. What's that? I said I'm glad I'm not the only one that's seen this then. No, it, it happens, but I'm never an adult. Never an adult. No, I haven't had an adult do it either. Um, I had some for my first clutch that were just psychopaths. And honestly, like even as a, like sub-adults, they still haven't calmed down that much. The Where male from that 2016 clutch that I'm cooling down right now, since he came out of the egg, is a legit nut job, dude. Yeah. I can't. He, he, the only way I can handle him is hooking him. I can only hooking him is the only way that I can handle him. Yeah, I had some babies that literally would have rather broken their own spine than being picked up. Mm-hmm. Like, you pick them up and the way they move and the way they think, 
you could tell they would rather just snap their body in half. Kill me! (laughs) (laughs) Never take me alive. That's how that male is, but he's really he's pretty. So I'm like, eh, we'll deal with it, I guess. I don't know. Plus, I kind of felt bad like selling him to somebody because he's just a spaz, dude. He's he's like his mom. His mom, like the hair, the the hairline female. He's just like her. And she, but the only difference is, is he's like four foot and she's seven. And uh, I can tell you from experience, it really sucks to get bit by her. It's not fucking fun. It hurts. Oh yeah, dude. The worst snake bite I have ever gotten was from a female brattles python. Yep, me too, hundred percent. Where yeah. I I picked her up and I knew I knew she was off, but I was like, okay. Usually when I get them out, they're fine. And it happened uh, fall time. I was looking at her. She wrapped up, and she did that thing where she just kind of pushes right up against me and just fits right here, right on my ring finger, right where uh, the joint mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I want to go to the doctor and see if I have a tooth stuck in here because it still hurts to this day. Yeah. Like, close my hand like this, and like it's a little swollen. Like honestly, I think she left a tooth in that knuckle on my ring finger. A parting it's, gift. It's a really interesting <laughs> feeling when you feel snake teeth go in between your joints because when my girl got me. She got me like on my left hand right here and grabbed my index finger and I could feel her fucking teeth go down in between the joint mm-hmm. and hit the top of the hand right here. And I had a big hematoma. I ended up having to cut and like pu- push blood out of my hand. It, the whole top of my hand blues like black and purple and shit. It was bad, dude. I was like, well, uh, I guess I can't trust you anymore. Because, and ever since then, I, I don't even know. I don't know if it's like a me thing or whatever, but she doesn't, she gets tailed and hooked out and I don't, I don't mess with her, man. She's completely untrustworthy. She gets hooked yeah. only for me. Five percenters, yeah. man. That's my, yeah. that's my, that's my motto. There's five percent of brettles that are just absolutely psychotic. I mean, I pulled her out a couple, it was like, I would say like a month ago, just kind of, there was the hook, but I was using my hands. It was right there. I was just trying to like see how, and she did, you know, that feeling when you start to pull them out and they wrap you and they start to really, you know what I'm talking about? And you're like, Oh shit. You're like, Oh, and then you've got like a foot of the snake and there's a whole nother six feet over here. That's like, Hey buddy, I'm about to, and it's like face level. And you're like, Oh, (laughs) that was that move. And I was like, well, I guess you're just forever uh, untrustworthy snake. I don't don't know what to do. Like, and I don't want her to go. And she was my first brother's Python. That hair Mm -hmm. line female is my first. And, so like there's sentimental value, but at the same time, like you, like I've got my forest male, I can go in there without a hook, pull him out, hands, Ooh. whatever. Most of my snake, most of my brother's pythons are like that. She is not, man. She's a freaking nut job. See, this and one I, is not a snake that bit me, or, and it's mm-hmm. actually bit me multiple times. She's super mm-hmm. food aggressive. Like every bite I have gotten from her is a full on food bite. Mm. You know. Mm-hmm. Which I think I think mine was I just ripped it out because of r- response. It was a yeah. it was just such a surprise because she had she, like she had it and it like tore my skin open and it was bad. It was not good. So, <laughs> not good. That was the first time I have ever actually had to hold a snake under a running faucet to get her to stop biting. Usually, yeah. like if you get bit, even if it's like a good feed bite, usually I can get him to like let go after a minute or two. You know? Yeah, and like grab him with your other hand and like restrain yeah. them. Yeah. Or they figure out, like, okay, this is too big for me to eat, and I know, like, the only thing's not a rat. This one, 
straight up just had to hold her under a faucet and let the water like go down her throat for her to let go. And it took a while. Water yeah. Water. Well, like water you look at, you think of like a most Morelia in general, like you think of like you look at them and even a big one, like a, a seven foot brittle spike. That's a big snake. Right. Yeah. And, but at the, like, I don't know if, if you guys have this deal, but like in my head, I'm like, ah, oh, it's just, it's a brittle spot. It's whatever, you know, I can, what I can handle it, you know? And then after she hit me and I'm bleeding every, like I was bleeding a lot and I put her up and I'm like looking at her head and you see these muscles that are like this big on the back of her head. And you're like, that's substantial. You know, that's, uh, Ooh. that's, uh, that, that, I mean, and I just didn't, I don't know. That was my first like really substantial bite and the the way that my hand bruised up and stuff i was like well that, it just gave me a whole new respect for the power that they have just that i mean their head's like this big that's not anything crazy but they can do some damage man oh yeah especially when they uh absolutely especially when they wrapped up on you and they really want to be wrapped up on you you realize how much they're typically building back you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. If you're building them, you're like, okay, yeah, this is, this is not too bad. You're not that strong. When they really want to hold on to you, it's there's a lot of muscle there that they're not typically using. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't want to get bit by my male. That's for sure. Yeah, my female, she's pretty untrustworthy. She's always kind of been. <laughs> she's only got me once, but uh, uh, she gets close to my face. I guess the heat pits are on my nose and mouth. And uh, one of these days I'm going to lose focus. I'm going to get bit in the face, but. Don't Hold on. That. That's a bad idea. Brettles are typically very, very trusty snakes that are very easy to hit. Yes. <laughs> we're, doing, we're doing a bad job of marketing, right? I know. <laughs> they're my favorite snakes because they're typically very, very handleable. Yeah, brettles are my favorite snakes too. I love my man I got from UKC is is no problem, but he's like 18 inches, so it's not a big deal anyway. <laughs> yeah, my, I I would say so. I've got a pretty most of the Morelia in my collection is Brettles pythons, and I have two that I can't handle, and that's probably out of 20 Brettles pythons. I mean, not all of them are adults, but most I'm, they're all tractable. It's just those two. And even the one that's not, that Harrison female, she was tractable up until she laid her second clutch. And since she laid her second clutch, it's just been, I don't know if it's like a hormonal change or something that happens or what. She's just not. I used to be able to pull her out and hold her on my neck and like all kinds of stuff. So give her to my kids and you can't do that anymore. It's just I mean, not a still thing could, anymore. but uh, <laughs> uh, yes, I'm getting called. Yeah. You know what else are really trustworthy snakes? What's that? Gaboon vipers. Oh, uh, super trust. Yeah. Until they're not. Until they're not. Yeah, man. I, I, uh, like, I don't, I'm not trying to do a bad PSA on those. I love them. They're my favorite. Oh, yeah. Sure. Me, they're, uh, they're, they're my, probably my favorite python. But there are, there are, I think, just like any snake, there's going to be a few outliers and some that you just can't trust. And that just is what it is. Superior yeah. Morelia. They, they are. are the superior Morelia. Let me see. Yeah, right now it's 54 degrees in my cool down. That's not bad. And then it'll probably drop down into the low 50s tonight, I think. And you could probably offer them food right now and they'd still eat. They would definitely eat. And digest it just fine. Like, 
I, I stopped feeding my stuff uh, <clears throat> Halloween, so none of my stuff's had meals, and not not any of the uh, Reynolds Pythons or the Inlands or the Brisbane's. None of that's had meals since Halloween. I give them November to clean out, and then like beginning like between the first and the fifth of December is whenever I put them into cool down. So. Yeah, my usually a month. Uh, I'm usually a month ahead of you. Then I usually stop feeding stuff at the beginning of October, and then mm -hmm. Halloween I'll kind of start cooling them down. Mm -hmm. And then usually, actually, usually right now is when I start warming them back up. But I, I'm going to let really? it colder. Yeah, usually I start warming up around like middle of uh, December, but I'm going to let it get colder for a while this year. I I, I don't I don't start warming stuff up till the 15th of February typically and then i'll put them i'll bring them back in the snake room and then just set everything to like a gradual warm-up and then after about a week of them being in the snake room and hitting some warmer temperatures i'll offer a real small meal and then i offer that big not big but like bigger meal so and usually that pushes them into like cycling and i can introduce males after that second meal is typically what i do yeah, that's how I am. Yeah, that big yeah. meal in the shed, and the females like really let off the hormones once that shed happens. Yeah, at least that's what I yeah. think. Yeah, I would agree with you on that for sure. It's just I, that's the way that I've done it, and I've had success. So I'm just not switching it up, and I'm kind of using the same recipe this year with the inlands and hoping for success. So yeah, I think it'll work with the inlands, no doubt. Are yours mogs? Yeah, both of them are Mogline inlands I got from Nick. Nice. I've had them. Um, I think they're 16s, but it took me a year to pay them off, so I got them in 17. Nick's <laughs> 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 a good duty, lets you do shit like that if you've done business with them. So. I'm going to get my hands on some eventually. I'll yeah, me too. I, they're badass. They're definitely underrated. I, I, I don't know. I don't think they're as easy... I don't want to say brettles are easy to produce, um, but if you just look at sheer numbers, I don't know if it's just popularity, but I've talked to Michael Pinnell, uh, and he's had he's had issues with producing them. He has produced them, but, like, I just – I don't know. I don't know if it's – you just got to get them colder or what, but it's – I don't think it's – the recipe I don't think is as fine-tuned as it is with brettles python. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that that makes sense. I mean there's, there's really not a ton of people who've been breeding them, you know, even over the yeah. years, they're just, they've never been. I just don't think that, I don't know. I don't think there's enough people doing it to where mm -hmm. like, like even whenever I started doing it in 16, there's enough, there's, there'd been plenty of people that had done Brettles pythons before me. And so I had a little bit of a recipe, you know, right. and mm -hmm. sometimes it seems like the inlands is like kind of up in there. They're like, well, we do it like the brettles and I had success last year, but I did the same thing this year and I didn't have success. I don't know. It doesn't seem as like cut and dry to me. Hmm. Yeah. I'm surprised there's nobody that really doesn't have a good sized group of them. Yeah. I know there's a uh, Tim Kendall over in the UK. But there's no he one makes some crazy shit. He makes yeah, some cool. really cool inlands, dude. Well, I'm surprised there's not really been somebody that's decided to be like the inland person in the U.S. You know, like, yeah. there's no person I can see that's got like ten inlands. What's I the other line? Not the mob line. What's the other line? Schofield. Schofield. I want to mm -hmm. get a Schofield male just so I can throw it in and get some more genetic diversity. 
Mm-hmm. And then I think Jewlander had an unrelated male. So there's like two and a half wood lines. Yeah, okay. there's really not a lot to work with. And I think that might play a factor into why there's For sure. someone hasn't really yeah. been doing a whole lot. It's because you're kind of what you have is what you have. And there's really mm-hmm. no way to sort of change it up. So that probably will be on my list of things to acquire is a skull field line, male or female. I really don't care. Whatever's available. So. Mm-hmm. I was just on Fauna and Martin Martin Roseman had uh, Mog Schofield crosses for like nine hundred a pair, I think, or something like that. That's not bad. Yeah, that's not bad. No, <clears throat> pretty consistent with what they've been worth for a while, right? About yeah, that, that, I think I got mine for like eight or something like that. The Mog lines, something somewhere. Yeah. I, it's been a few years; I can't remember, but it's somewhere around there. They've been their prices consistent. have their prices have held, and it's because yeah. no one produces them in mass, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm gonna so, get some. Damn it, they're cool, man, and they they're smaller. I, at least mine are, and I I mean I feed them pretty much the same as I feed any of my other stuff, and they just kind of stay smaller. They're not a big big snake. They're mm-hmm. pretty in their own gray blue earth tone way. You know I like them. Their disposition is incredibly chill. They get my female's a little flighty but she's not bitey or anything like that. She's just a little like, Ugh, don't touch me. Get off. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I'm thinking it is bedtime. Is it yeah. bedtime? Yep. All right, gentlemen. And we're two and a half hours. So it's been a great time. So it was brought to you by Puget yep. Sound Pythons. Everyone needs to check out Jeff and Kendra. They got some awesome stuff. Uh, find them on Facebook. They have a YouTube channel, uh, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. So, hey Casey, send me yeah. some uh, some of those pictures whenever you get a chance. I would like to see what uh, the one screaming female you said looks like. Some up yeah, so. when she's fired up, I'll take a picture of her. Okay, I appreciate she's been it. Been keeping at a like an ambient sixty eight for a while, so she might not be looking that great right now. Yeah, but, I know how it is. <laughs> but yeah, right, I'll take a picture of that. All right. right. It's always a pleasure, guys. Bye. Later. See ya.